Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. This is Mark Geiss. And Josh Eppinger. And I know it's been a little while, we've gone on a bit of a hiatus, and a ton has happened in this period of time, so it's probably the worst time to go on a hiatus. But we've got plenty to talk about, I'm sure this will probably run a little bit longer than we typically have our episodes run, but there's so much to talk about that we'll still miss out on things. How's everything going on your end, Josh? Uh, pretty good. Uh, been bit been pretty busy. We had uh first uh men's league uh playoff game last night. Uh, we were on a, about a eight to nine game losing streak after having a pretty good season and uh went in and beat Coglin's Irish Pub on uh on St. Patrick's Day. So we gave we we showed them who had the Irish luck. But uh we uh I uh they scored a quick goal on us and I went around uh old coach of mine and Mark's uh. Coach Dane Wild, Wild, oh, Wallander, and uh, put one in uh, about 15 seconds later, and we ended up winning the game 2-4 uh, to four at the end. I had two goals, so I felt pretty good after the game. But uh, it was always nice to score a, uh, score a goal when going around Coach Wallander because, uh, as Mark knows, me and him didn't get uh, along too well in the locker room. Uh, after after the game, he came up to me and goes, Geez, Josh, how's uh how do you go out there and uh, play so hard? You never played that hard for me when you were 15 years old. I, I look. I, I wanted to say to him, well, I uh, didn't really want to play for hard for a coach that I didn't like. You know, uh, someone I didn't see eye to eye with. You know, you want to be able to play for a coach that uh, the the better coach you are, the more your players are going to want to play for you. Definitely, yeah. So much of your effectiveness as a coach is getting players to buy in. And even if they don't like you still, if they can see that you're effective and you're getting them where the team needs to be, they're going to at least listen to you. So I'm sure it's going to be a common theme throughout this podcast. I just needed to throw in the obligatory, yeah. go, Will, go, go, skate, go. Just take the puck. Just take the puck, Will. That was his son and yeah, yeah. blatantly uh, blatantly politically targeted coaching toward his son. So Josh and I always yell at him for Donia, once in a while when we're with each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he and he was not a big. I he'd sit me down and practice. He wouldn't even let me practice sometimes because, I mean, sure, I was a little punk, but I knew how to play some freaking hockey at least. Come on. Uh, yeah, I won't say you were entirely innocent, but yeah, he yeah, that, he did target particular people that he didn't they didn't like too much, and that's not popular with anybody, even the guys that aren't being targeted. Yeah, thank God. Thank God that he was only our coach for a year. Uh, dark. I think year, I man. had him for a couple years. I think you came in later. We were we were on different teams for a while. I think you only had him for the one year, though. I had him for at least three or four. Oh, jeez. But uh, <laughs> I guess we'll go into. You still there? Yeah. Yep. Can you see me? Okay. I saw the the Skype go out there, so. Wanted to make sure you're still there. I wasn't talking into into thin air here. But we'll start. Nope. Just go through the scores of the games and then jump in probably first into the Bilesmo discussion. Um, like I said before, I'm sure it's going to be a major part of this podcast. What are they going to do with Bilesma? The players' reaction to him. And a lot, of, a lot in that front has changed over the last couple weeks, over the last you know two and a half, three weeks, or whatever it's been since we did our last podcast. The trade yeah, deadline sorry. also yeah, passed. The trade deadline the trade deadline really set me back. Uh, was uh, very disappointed, and I kind of 
I'm sorry, Sabres fans and Mark, that I've uh, I kind of took a little hiatus because I couldn't really wrap my head around it. Like you said earlier, it's just hard to be invested at some points. Definitely, at this point in the season, you know everything's over. I was very frustrated after that. I've I have to say I've probably tuned into games that I otherwise wouldn't have just because we're doing this podcast. So thank you, yeah. Saber Talk listeners, for making me endure some bad hockey over the last couple of weeks. But hopefully we can bring some decent analysis to you. Never change. Never change. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll talk about the trade deadline plenty. And we'll talk about the games kind of interspersed throughout these more systematic issues rather than talking about individual games like we typically do because there are so many to, to cover over this time span. So the last game that we talked about was the loss in Arizona, I believe, on yes. Sunday night. Or no, yes, it was. Yep, yep, the 3-2 loss in Arizona on Sunday night. So since then, they went out on Tuesday. Right after that, lost 5-4 to four in overtime to the Nashville Predators. Then they came back and beat the Coyotes 6-3. to three. Their best offensive outburst of this whole stretch here. And went on, a, went on an extended losing streak. Lost 2-1 to one in a shootout to Tampa Bay. Lost 4-3, to three, blowing a 3 nothing lead to Pittsburgh. Lost 6-3 to three in a game where Eichel had points on all three goals to Philadelphia. That was a nationally televised game as well. Um, then lost to Columbus 4-3 to on the front end of a back-to-back, then came out and beat Columbus 5-3 to the next game, and they came back from a 3-0 deficit in that game. Lost to San Jose 4-1, to game they were just thoroughly outplayed the whole time. Then a boring game in Los Angeles, lost 2 to nothing, couldn't get anything going offensively. It's kind of been typical of this entire stretch. And then last night, one two to one in a shootout to Anaheim. Really a game where where Anders Nielsen stood on his head and Rasmus Ristolainen had a beautiful shootout goal to extend that game. Nielsen was not unbeatable, but as close to it as you probably could expect him to be and really carried them to that win yesterday. So that's yeah. what's been going on. Um, um, the standings what, now, what, what, the Sabres sit at uh, sit at fourteenth place in the conference. Yeah. What? Uh, yep, yep, they're fourteenth. Uh, one one question. Uh, you you brought up the wrist aligning goal last night. Uh, I got the pleasure of catching that. Uh, great, great, sh- great uh, move in the shootout. What do you think about the Sabers? Not you know, typically a guy that's never been used in the shootout for the Sabers is wrist aligning. Uh, we think back to these oh six oh seven teams oh eight oh eight, and uh, one of our best shootout guys was Tony Lidman. Ludman, uh, he uh, he had a couple good moves. You know, we we still had Vanek, Pomaville, uh, who were guys that you count on in the shootout. But Luda, I mean, sometimes defensemen don't get enough looks on the shootout. Um, I know Chris Letang gets a lot of uh, chances for Pittsburgh in the shootout. Uh, maybe this, maybe it's down the road, maybe the Sabres should be looking at Ristolainen more in the shootout, an area that they struggled in all year long. Possibly, yeah. I don't know enough if he has other moves in his arsenal or not. I saw a video from during the offseason of him doing that exact move, and he said, yeah, whenever I get the chance to be in a shootout, because never, he's never taken a shootout attempt until yesterday, I'm going to do that move. And so he did it there. So I don't know if that's just one move that he's really perfected, and he knew once I get in I can use that move. I don't know how good he'd be at it otherwise, but 
if if in practices and everything, if he's among the most effective, if he's one of the most effective three, I'd have no problem putting him in there in the shootout. I do think they they have a decent. I mean, they have some. They have quite a wide range of choices to go with in the shootout. Molson's been pretty effective throughout his career. Ennis has been pretty effective as well. I mean, he's over. I think he's in like the 35 to 40 percent range. That's why he's typically in the top three. And then you've got Eichel, who you have to give an attempt to. O'Reilly hasn't been as effective, but I mean, I have no yeah, problem well, with I, giving one of your big guns a chance there. And then you, you have Sam Reinhardt as well. Yeah, Oposo's uh, been a. Oposo had great shootout numbers in uh, New York, not as much as Buffalo and as in Buffalo, but in New York he was very good in the shootout. Um, Definitely, yeah, th- yeah. That's one that I forgot from, that, that didn't come up in my mind. So you pretty much have to put him in there as well in your top three. Yeah, a lot of guys you could choose from, but not a lot of guys that have been effective at all in this season in the shootout. And I know there's been poor goaltending in the shootout, mostly on Robin Leonard's part. Um, but I mean, it's just it's just so it's one more element to the game, one more thing to extra give you the extra point. So I. I think there's a they you know it's a, I feel like a lot of Sabres fans discuss this about the shootout. Oh, the Sabres are terrible in the shootout. They can't they can't score. They can't stop goals. Well, how many points have we lost in the shootout this year? I I, I couldn't tell you this, but we've lost quite a few uh, shootouts. Uh, I think we've won two maybe this season, three out of probably like ten or eleven. So it's it hasn't been good. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what the record is. They're definitely sub 500, and you said it. The bigger issue, I think, has been the goaltending, and Robin Leonard continues to be 0-4, continues to be the worst goaltender in shootouts in the entire league. So I think it's more on his shoulders. You're not going to win when your goalie's giving up three shootout goals on three attempts, but um, I think finding that right combination is important, and I do think that's one reason why you should be excited about Alex Nylander coming. I think he's going to be dynamite in the shootout. He's tremendous on breakaways and in one-on-one situations with the goaltender so maybe he'll be an influx you've got to think Eichel is going to be effective over the long term in the shootouts and then probably Oposo is that third guy but I'm not too worried about the offensive side long term I'm more worried about the goaltender being effective yeah I mean I wish I could be better like Alex Alex Nylander on breakaways I was 0 for 2 on breakaways last night I had credited two goals at the end of the game, one I'm not sure I was uh, screening the goalie, and the uh, other one I had that move on Coach Wallander, but uh, I I could have had four goals I guess last night if I could make, if I could put one in on the breakaway, which I used to be good at. It's quite Good a games, skill, man. Yeah, it's one of those yeah. things you kind of you kind of have or you don't. You remember you remember NHL 2002 with Mario Lemieux on the cover? Oh yeah, that's my okay, favorite so- NHL game ever. Yeah, a great game. When it slows I, I, I down on the breakaways. Yeah, and it, it slows down and you hear the heartbeat and it gets goes all blue. That's how I feel every time I get in there. It's I played too much NHL 2002 on PC when I was a kid, and now I'm screwed. you got to think of the advantages, though. It lets you slow down and you can really you feel every, you know, the puck move just a little tiny bit. You feel everything because you're, you're down in slow motion. you got to look at the, the positives rather than the negatives. Hey, I'm gonna have to try to remember that tomorrow night when I'm uh, <laughs> out playing in the semi semifinals. So you're kind of like a Mike Greer type on sh- on uh, breakaways now. Uh, yeah, you yeah. get I you get one or two a game, but never convert. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I'm trying to use that old Thomas Vanek over the puck, uh, sh- fake the shot over the puck and go up high. It's not working for me lately. That's everybody our age from Buffalo's favorite breakaway move, I think. Yeah. Thomas Vanek. I can never get it. it past Sam Leon because he remembered it from practice all the time. <laughs> I got I got one move and I I don't really know what to do. I guess next I I'm just going to start shooting five hole. <laughs> yeah. No surprise I was never that good at shootouts. I'm way too of a north south type of player to to have much in terms of deking or or anything. You could do but, the wrist alignment move. You got that bit you had that that stick with the double extension on it. So <laughs> That's true. Yeah, maybe that should be my go-to. Um it's yeah. but uh but yeah, that's that's one issue among many. I think it is the the shootouts are kind of it's a marginal issue where if they don't improve it, it's gonna it's gonna mean the difference between probably three to five points in a season. And next year, you very well could be looking at that three to five points being the difference between you making the playoffs or you not making the playoffs. So I think it is important. I think it's not a it's not a huge issue that should be the major focus going into the offseason but it's something they need to get better at the way that the point structure is now you need to you need to do well in overtime or or shootouts unless you're a great team you need to do well in those areas in order to make the playoffs in order to separate yourselves from all those other teams that are kind of jammed into the middle of the pack so hopefully it's something they can improve on next year but it seems like since the shootout's been initiated we've been terrible at it yeah yeah, and that's a true story. Um, you know, and you look at the you look at the standings right now in the East in the Atlantic Division, and uh, you you have so many. You know, it's it's pretty close. And if you're looking at the 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 playoff picture, you know we got the Rangers in Toronto in the wild card, and the Islanders, Tampa Bay, and Florida are right behind them. Tampa Bay really cr- crawling back up that. Uh, making a good comeback here looking pretty tough lately uh yeah even uh, without Stamkos and dealing yeah. away Philpula and Ben Bishop at the trade deadline yeah they're they're really making it interesting and Toronto they really shouldn't even be in that conversation we were just talking about shootouts they're one in eight in the shootout this year wow and <laughs> that can make mean the difference between if they were even 500 in the shootout they'd be comfortably in a playoff spot we, we wouldn't be talking about them playing for their lives every night but they're down there in that mix, and then you have Tampa Bay, who's four and three, so that's helped prop them up to that point. Where now them and Toronto, though objectively looking at the stats, you can say Toronto's clearly the superior team, but now they're right there in the same conversation. So it is important. I'm holding out, man. I'm, you know, I'm I'm cheering for the Islanders every time I have a chance. Tampa Bay, Florida. I won't cheer for Philadelphia, even though I don't even think they're realistically in it. Um, yeah, they've they've pretty much fallen out of it. I think. Yeah. Not a great Florida, stretch of games recently, but Florida's been disappointing lately. But I mean, I'm I'm just really you know don't let don't let Toronto make the playoffs. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably good for hockey in the sport if they make playoffs this year. You can make that argument. I don't want to hear it. I, yeah. I I just I just don't want them in there. I agree. Yeah, even though I can I, I can hold the two views at the same time in my mind. I know that Toronto being good is good for hockey, good for the NHL, but I'm never going to root for that to happen. I don't really care about the NHL as a whole. So, you know, I care about the product on the ice, but I don't care about league revenue or anything like that. So hopefully yeah. hopefully they fall back. We'll see. I'll 
I'm planning on watching the game tonight. And uh, what, what time is that? They're on hockey night in Canada. It's at uh, either seven or seven thirty. I'm not sure what time. I six or six thirty yeah. my time. I know. But yeah, it's the it's the well, first hockey night in Canada game. It's also free on. Um, I know you don't have NHL TV, right? Or uh, like Game Center. No. No, I don't. It's the it's the free game of the day on there. So if you're interested in watching some hockey, it won't be on TV, but you can stream it for free through there, and probably pretty good, pretty decent stream. All right. Well, now that Mark got his plug in for NHL Game Center, he's making the big bucks over there. No, no. <laughs> Let me now say that it is super buggy, and I've paid for it for a couple for for several consecutive years now. But the NHL website is horrible, and it's kind of embarrassing that this is the product they try to sell to their fans. But I don't really have another way to, to consistently get decent streams of Sabres hockey. But it's not, it's not a good product, so I'm not being paid by, by NHL.com, trust me. <laughs> All right, and sorry, the NHL.com okay. interface is a great representative of what the NHL TV product is like. All right, so we'll get <laughs> oh. off the Toronto rabbit hole and NHL, blasting yeah. NHL for anything and everything, but we should talk about the big issue, which is Dan Bilesma. And yeah. I think we pretty much all can agree at this point that he's not going to be back next year. And it would, it, it would be very surprising to see him brought back. But you have additional stories coming out where the players don't like him, specifically an Eichel-Bilesma feud going on, but it seems like it's more than just Eichel versus Bilesma. Like, it's really a large contingent of the locker room versus Bilesma, and they've tuned him out. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on all of this? We haven't really talked about it at all. I mean, yeah, no. the, the major news has come out since our last podcast, but even outside the podcast, you and I haven't talked about it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, so, something I've been paying attention to. Um Something that you, I feel like it can be seen on this team when they're out on games. I mean, they're out there, but are they really giving it their all? Like I was saying earlier, how do you give it all to a coach that you don't have respect for? You need, if you're the coach, you are the center of the organization. You're the face, unless you got a Wayne Gretzky or Sidney Crosby or anything or someone like that. But so. The, you're really the center of the locker room. You have to demand the attention. You have to hold the respect. It it's something that it's like giving someone. It's like almost as important as I mean, having a C on your sweater is like being like the second coach. So imagine what it's like being an NHL coach. And you can't. You got, we have a young group of players. And the, when Dan Bilesma came in, he's you know he's been known for being an, a big part of the U.S. Juniors organization and uh, helping develop USA players. But we have a USA player in Jack Eichel that does not see eye-to-eye at him whatsoever. So what what's going on with it? I, he, he, I watch the games, and it, you know I see the, the look on these players' faces and the, the work that they're putting in just isn't enough. And how much does that have to do with Bilesma? I think it has a lot to do with it, and I don't want to come out and say that coaching is the only issue on this team. There are obviously there are issues in terms of managing the roster, there are ownership issues, you can even take it up to that level, 
there are fundamental flaws in the roster. So I understand that it's not like Bilesma has been given a Stanley Cup caliber, caliber roster, and now this is where they're sitting in the standings. But this is something you could see from last year, something I've been talking about since last year, that he is not a good coach and he's not maximizing what he's been given. He has his view of this is the system I want to play, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to I'm going to force a square peg into a round hole, regardless of what my roster is, and try to execute that system. And that's not what good coaches do. Good coaches look at this is the these are the strengths of my roster, this is what I have, and I'm going to develop what I do based on what on based on what I'm given. And I don't think he's done a good job of that whatsoever. This has been a consistently horrible possession team, and that's a big reason why. It's because the system does not play to the strengths of the players, and it's a big reason why they're so inconsistent. Yes, I think they'd be inconsistent regardless of who the coach was because there are flaws in this roster, but there's such swings in this team, and really the only time when you see them be very effective is when they're allowed to to run loose and kind of play outside the bounds of that system. So I think... He needs to go. I wouldn't have minded them not bringing him back after last year. Of course, I don't think they were going to do that after giving him a five-year contract and a lot of money. But you cannot bring him back next year and expect to do anything. You're not going to win a Stanley Cup with him as the coach. I know that people say, oh, well, he's won a Stanley Cup. Look at the success that he had in Pittsburgh. But these are the same things that people in Pittsburgh were saying about him when he was coaching there. And that's why he ultimately was let go. This is nothing new. So people who are acting so surprised that that people are blaming the coach, they shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with you. I love the analogy of fitting a a square peg in a round hole. Uh, exactly it. You got you have you have guys that uh, you have guys on this roster that can are NHL superstars. Jack Eichel being one. Ryan O'Reilly, who has looked just defeated to me lately, like entirely, and I know he's played a lot of minutes and there's been a lot to ask on him, and no matter what you can say about the guy, he is our hardest working player, I think. Um, he, he, he looks defeated. This is, this is possibly, these are the two guys that are possibly going to be our captain, our next captain, if we don't bring Gianta back next year, which I see happening, by the way. Um, but that's not for now. It's, but, um, so, I mean, that, that's a, that's a huge concern. I mean, these guys need to be out, be out there and flowing and there's no flow to this team at all. It's struggle after struggle. And it really started pushing on after after this deadline it i mean it's really picked picked up and before the deadline you could see it but they were still kind of before that buy they they were still kind of optimistic to uh, maybe hold up a, a playoff spot and or fight for one and it didn't work and now they're just defeated and i wonder how much that also brings into uh their current style of play right now yeah and i think o'reilly you said it in in what you were talking about there that the minutes that he's played, that's on Bilesma too. I mean, I yeah. I think that's the ultimate reason why he's looked this way. And he's had he's had some pretty poor games during this stretch. I know that O'Reilly he's such a fan favorite and people respect the effort that he gives that they're loath to criticize him. But I think he has not played well 
in this stretch since our last podcast post trade deadline. And I think you can trace it back to all the minutes that he's been forced to play. Another guy I want to talk about is Zach Bogosian. I think he perfectly embodies somebody that is just a horrible fit for what Bilesma is trying to do. You look at what what is Bogosian good at. He's blessed with a lot of physical tools. He's big. He can skate. He is good at skating the puck out of the zone. Um, and that's not what Bilesma's system asks his defenseman to do. His system asks defensemen to make a lot of long passes, a lot of, I mean, you can call them dangerous passes. And Bogosian just is not good at that. And I think it's a big reason why he's looked so lost with the puck. Of course, he's looked lost in defensive zone coverage as well. I don't want to take blame off of Bogosian because I think he, you know, he just goes for walks in the defensive zone. And he's one of the guys I think you can criticize the most in this defensive core for playing poorly this year. But I think he's a great embodiment of somebody who was a pretty effective top four defenseman up until playing under Dan Bilesma. And I know he's had some injuries the last couple years, but his his play has fallen off a cliff, really. And I think you can you can pin a lot of that on Bilesma's system. Uh, so that's just one guy of many I think you could point to. But he's the one that comes to mind first when I try to think about square pegs and round holes. I think that he's yeah. he's the squarest of those pegs. Very well could be. Um, now, when, when, when you got a player, when you got players like, you know, Sam Reinhart, Jack Eichel, fast, super skilled guys. Do you want to play a dump and chase scheme? Do you want to, you know, go into the corners and try to get tough? Or do you want to be more of a puck possession team? You know, it's these, these are the questions that need to be answered. And this is what we need to be looking for when we eventually find a new coach. I, I'm 100% with you that. Bilesma's after the season's toast. They're not just going to get rid of him right now just to get rid of him. They're going to finish off the season. It doesn't matter anyways. But they need to bring in, I really hope they bring in a coach that will be able to fill this team, uh, fill, make, put these guys in the right position to win games next year. Definitely. I think that um, would be my biggest criteria to say if I was conducting the interviews as to who would be the next coach. Come in and give me a presentation these are the players that you have. This is how maybe I think they're not being utilized correctly right now. And I think this is the system where these players can flourish. And X, you know, this, 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 and this are the reasons why this group of players I think will execute this system that I want to run best. I don't want I don't want them to come in and say, This is the system I've I've run my entire coaching career and this is what I've done with other players. Because it's not always like that. You can't always you can't always just come in and impose what you what exactly you want to do because the Sabres roster is going to have some eccentricities compared to what other rosters do. So that would be what I would like to see. I, I don't know how, how coaching interviews typically would go, but I think that would blow me away personally. Yeah, and I wonder who's going to be the one making decision. Is it going to be uh, is it going to be our owner Terry Pagula, or is it is uh, Tim Murray going to have a choice and and say what coach comes in? I, is it going to be a little bit of both? Hopefully, Russ Brandon's not too involved in it. Um, I hope so. Yeah, and you look at the Bills, and it doesn't seem like Whaley's the one making the ultimate decision. That it's that Whaley's kind of a facilitator of a lot of different things, and a lot of times he's facilitating what the coach wants to do rather than rather than him really running the organization. So is Tim Murray more in that type of role? where the Pagulas or the coach 
are dictating what he does, or are they still giving Tim Murray the reins and letting him hire his next coach? It's something we can't really be sure of. I I, I don't know the answer. If it if it if it truly is all on Russ Brandon, we need to go get our pitchforks and uh, and uh, you know flames on the stick there and uh, run him out of town. Yeah, let him do what he does well. He, he does a good job Marketing. of selling the team, of selling a lot of times piss poor products to the fans, but he shouldn't be involved in any sort of personnel or management decisions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just you know. You know, when when you have reporters like Paul Hamilton coming on on air and saying that your twenty year old superstar man child Jack Eichel does not see eye to eye with the coach, his only coach he's had in the NHL, that generally worries me. This 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 player is too important to our franchise. Am I saying go out there and hand him everything on a silver spoon? No. But this is someone that we have to make sure likes this area. This is a generational player who isn't getting along with our coach and no one else in the locker room is. It, this is and Mark Mark you've been on the as I said before you've been and you've eaten yourself. You've been on the fire uh, Dan Miles train longer than pretty much anyone. And uh I'm starting to think that Sabres fans in general are really starting to see it now. So should be uh, pretty interesting to see what comes up in the postseason. I mean, not postseason, but offseason. Yeah, and I think um, if it was just Eichel and Bilesma that didn't see eye-to-eye, that those kind of things happen. There are going to be, regardless of who the coach is, there are always going to be some people that, that don't love the coach. I don't think you're ever going to have unanimous, all 23 guys on the roster love the coach. And, of course, Eichel's opinion matters a little bit more than everybody else. But when you have multiple reports coming out where they're saying that the that the whole locker room doesn't like him or you know multiple contingents of the locker room don't like him including your star player your franchise player then it really becomes an issue and i think that's what woke a lot of people up even people that haven't been criticizing bilesma's system or think oh well you know it, it's probably a lot on murray because he gave bilesma a crappy defense or you know, whatever other excuses they may have for bilesma but i think that these reports have really turned a lot of people over now to the side of Bilesma needs to go. But a lot of people are overcorrecting, and you're seeing, and Jeremy White was kind of driving this on WGR, and now I see a lot of people talking about it on social media that David Quinn, who is Bilesma's coach at Boston University, should be in contention for the Sabres head coaching job if and when Dan Bilesma's fired. And I think that would be an overcorrection in the other direction. You don't want to make decisions thinking about Jack Eichel is first and foremost in my mind. You need to make a decision for the for the good of the entire organization. I think that would be a mistake. Not saying that David Quinn doesn't have a possibly an, an NHL head coach worthy resume, but I think people pushing that are doing it strictly because they want Eichel to be happy. Yeah, and you can't you can't like I said feed feed Eichel with a silver spoon. But, you know, we're talking Dan Quinn is also, you know, pretty, uh, pretty mark, pretty uh, well-written coach in the past few years. So, I mean, it's it, it's something that I wouldn't I wouldn't mind exercising the idea of it to actually make it. Uh, I don't know. I would but, certainly um, like to see a, a longer track record 
for a college coach. I mean, obviously he had a tremendous year with Eichel, but mm-hmm. you could throw anybody behind the bench, and if you have the best player in the nation, your team's probably going to be pretty good. So Yeah. And I know he's been an assistant in the NHL too, but his college head coaching experience really – it's only a few years at this point, and one of those years was was heavily supported by having Eichel there. So, I think there are far better candidates out there. I don't know who my favorite is at this point, but I don't want to overcorrect that far and make a decision solely because of the connection with Eichel. Yeah, um, I I want someone that's going to come out and be, and I I really want a hard-headed coach. I want I want someone to come in and take take note you know all business you know mike babcock john tortorella style you know um talking about some of the best coaches in the game right there too so you know can't i don't want to i don't want to just be throwing their names out and say oh someone needs to come in and be like them because there's only a couple of those guys but someone that's gonna take note you know be all business and make sure this team is performing the way they should be in the right system yeah, yeah, and I think um, you may have a surprise firing somewhere. I don't know exactly who's going to be who's going to be out there. We talked about it before. McClellan was kind of an example of that when the Sabres ended up going for Biles. McClellan decided to go to Edmonton, but maybe you'll see somebody like that out on the market. Uh, sounds like you're kind of in the Mike Keenan camp, but he just got hired by Beijing in the KHL, so he's off the market. But yeah, <laughs> he fits your hard-headed definition to a T. Yeah, I don't, maybe maybe a little too hard at it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting um, to see if they go with a, a guy with NHL head coaching experience or a younger upstart type. I don't. I can't really say which would be my preferred route. Um, yeah, Bob Hartley could be an example. Gerard Gallant. I mean, he's the one that everybody throws out first. Um, yeah, that, that's been the popular one I've been reading about is Gallant. Yeah, Travis Green would be a. He's kind of a a popular young AHL, yeah, you know, type of guy, but I can't I don't I I can't pretend to talk too much about any of those non NHL types. You know, know know enough about them to really be able to make an informed to have an informed analysis at this point. Yeah, at least not on the air. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that was something I've got to research more, and now that's becoming more and more clear that. Bilesma is going to be down or going to be gone at the end of the year, then it is important to research. But more, I was just, I just wanted him gone, regardless of who replaced him for most of the last calendar year or so. Yeah. Um, well, enough, since we uh, got, we've been talking about coach there, um, when we're talking about Jack Eichel not seeing eye to eye of him, Jack Eichel, since our last podcast, has been uh, quite good. Uh, was one game shy of uh, tying the NHL uh, point uh, consecutive games of points. Uh, was one game shy of tying that at I th- believe it was 17 or 16 games in a row with a with a point in each game, and has really uh, really uh, came on and has been playing well for the most part and uh, been offensively dominant. Uh, what do you think about Eichel as of late, Mark? Well, I think he finally got 100% in terms of, terms of health. And I think a high ankle sprain, that's not an injury you come back from 
and you're able to play at your absolute best right away. So I think that's the first time I've ever done this on this podcast. I dropped my mic there. Done it like five, I've done it like five times. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're, yeah, you're definitely far ahead of me in the mic dropping, um, <laughs> mic dropping game at this point. But <laughs> moving my hands around too much. Um, but Eichel, I forget the point I was making exactly. Um, but he finally was fully healthy, I think. And yeah. he's taken the next step now to be one of those upper echelon players in the league. And it's something that we all could see. We all could see flashes of. But he's really now been able to create chances for himself and create chances for his line mates. I think his passing is is the most underrated aspect of his game because you see how fast he is and his shot are both incredible. But he's been great at picking his spots and, and making very nice passes to his line mates. So it's been a great run for him offensively. I think you still see lapses now and again in the defensive zone. And you saw Bilesma come out and criticize him for some of those turnovers. And he was benched for a shift in the third period after making a turnover recently. And that was that was where a lot of people, I think, came over to the fire Bilesma side because they saw that this Eichel-Bilesma feud is getting more intense. I don't know how big of a deal that was because he was benched after it was 4-1. to one yeah. And... Imagine if Eichel went out there and got hurt with two two or three minutes left in a 4-1 to one game. So if I didn't have a problem with Bilesma before and if there hadn't been issues like this in the past, I would have just brushed it off. But I think it's just kind of another needle on the – or, you know, another uh, straw on the camel's back there. Um, yeah, Zig- Zygmunt Gergesen ended up playing like three and a half minutes more than Eichel that game, and people were throwing a fit. Yeah, Ooh, that's more what I have the issue with is just Eichel the whole rest of the game – only playing 14 minutes, and then you have, yeah, Gurgensen's, I think, playing 15 and change or something. I, I don't remember what the exact numbers yeah. were. But he needs to be playing 18, 19 minutes a night at the least. And I do mm-hmm. think – I don't want to jump to our next conversation yet, but I really did like the Eichel-O'Reilly combination last night, and I think that's probably the best best way to ensure that Eichel's playing a lot because you know that O'Reilly's going to be getting his 18, 19, probably 20-plus minutes every night. Uh, yeah. What did you think of that combination? Well, um, I didn't get to see much of uh, the game last night. I got home from the game with about a minute left in regular regulation. Uh, what I've seen, uh, you know, glimpses of it. it I, I, I think, I didn't, I don't think it really matters how it worked last night. But uh, down the road, yeah, you make sure that he gets the gets that time in and. Make sure you know you, you get him on you get him playing with uh, O'Reilly, who's someone who's very defensively sound, and Eichel hasn't been you know obviously everyone's been talking that Eichel isn't good in his own uh, hasn't been good defensively, so O'Reilly could pick up more of the slack for that and uh, give you know get Eichel passes, uh, get him give him more of a chance to get out of the zone as well uh to get some odd man rushes going towards the other way uh i just i don't i've been stuck on the idea of eichel and o'reilly one two for a while but now as it as uh, the season the time has got passed it it's something that could make sense to me and i'd something i'd be open to uh seeing so yeah, I think I had – because we had talked in the past about 
I wanted Reinhardt to be playing center. I think he's better at center. That's his natural position. I think that's where he needs to be long-term. And I think we brought it up as a possibility that O'Reilly and Eichel could play together. I don't really remember where my verdict was on that. But I think in the last couple yeah. weeks, I've come around to that because I think O'Reilly and Eichel complement each other really well. Eichel continues to not be good at face-offs. O'Reilly's very good yep. at face-offs. Um, and I think O'Reilly can play the wing, maybe with taking some of the defensive responsibilities from Jack. I think it makes a lot of sense, that combination in terms of talent. And you saw O'Reilly, who he has struggled, I think, quite a bit over the last month or so. And I said it was due to due to all those minutes that he was playing. But he, he looked re-energized last night. He looked very good, and playing with a guy like Eichel will do that to people. Ennis was the other winger on that line. I thought he had one of his best games in a while. Not without his hiccups, too, but uh, he looked better than he has, which is understandable. He's been playing with a lot of third and fourth line type of guys, but um, yeah. I liked that combination well, yesterday, and I thought Reinhardt settled in nicely, getting a lot of offensive zone starts and a little less, you know, a little less pressure on him, you know, playing against easier competition. I, th- I thought it worked well. I, I even, you know, I'll even go out and say that I haven't really didn't even really like O'Reilly's play even before Oposo went down. Uh, that's something that we haven't brought up. Oposo is uh was out for week to week with rib injuries. Uh, I don't expect to see him back for the rest of the season. He has nothing to prove in my mind. Um, but, you know, I those two, they, they were they were just they were just cold. Both of them are cold together. You, you got to do something to try to get them both warm. And, uh, you, know, th- you know, down the line, you know, Oposo O'Reilly – Eichel could be something that, something that you could be very excited about on a top line in the NHL. Uh, I mean, that's a all-star top line in the NHL. That's you know one of the best ones you could probably pick when you think about those three players playing together. So maybe that's something that we could look forward to in the future. Yeah, yeah, maybe Oposa could be that third guy if they if Eichel and O'Reilly really are a long-term combination. I thought so. Bilesma. He gets a lot of criticism, oftentimes rightfully so, for all his tinkering with the lines and constantly moving players around. But one thing he didn't really deviate from for most of this year were his pairs. So he kept Eichel and Reinhardt together basically all the time, and O'Reilly and Oposo were another one of his pairs that he really never broke up. And I completely agree with you. I think O'Reilly and Oposo were struggling together prior to Oposo getting hurt, but he still never broke them up. It was nice to see yesterday, finally, he abandoned the idea that these are the pairs that need to be together. And I think it took a long time for that to come full circle. A lot of tinkering to get to that point, but I think it was necessary. And we'll see where oh, yeah. Oposo ends up fitting in long term. We didn't really see him him and Reinhardt together at all. I don't know how, how those two no. would, would look together. Yeah, and then you got to you got to put in the factor is a Vander King going to be part of this puzzle uh, down the road too? Cause I mean, that's, you know, you're one of your best players on the, on the team. And uh, you know, you talk in your, your five best offensive players, you know, you're like O'Reilly, Oposo, Kane, Reinhardt are not any type of order. Um, but that's a, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you gotta. We gotta figure out what's going on there. I know I keep on beating this topic like a dead horse, but 
or K needs to go in this offseason. He needs to be traded or they need to keep him. And that's my that's my opinion. You're not going to leave much room up for uh for your goaltender as Mark and I were talking earlier about this topic and uh but there, there's something need, something needs to happen. The guy's having a stellar season, and I don't want to see him just wa- leave for nothing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's what good franchises do. They tend to not let guys walk for nothing. Not saying it never happens, but especially when you have such a glaring hole on defense, it's not like this is a championship-caliber team at this point. I think to go into next year risking losing Kane for nothing. And you could go into the season with Kane and kind of make an internal decision that, if we have, if we're not able to re-sign him or trade him, you know, trade him for a defenseman going into the year, then regardless of where we are in the standings, we're going to trade him at the at the trade deadline. I wouldn't necessarily mind that either. Teams have done that where they've been in a playoff position and, and traded a rental because they know how much they can get back for him. Um, yeah, Shattenkirk. Yeah, yep. That's uh, that's one example certainly, and you can't just especially where the Sabres are now where they've blown a lot of their, their assets. Their prospect pool isn't isn't bad, isn't great, though at the same time I think you still need to be thinking in that term in, in those terms of, of replenishing your pipeline. And especially when they didn't do any of that at this trade deadline, it might make it even more important next trade deadline. I know that's a topic that we are going to have to talk about, but I completely agree with you. They, they should make a decision one way or another on Kane. And if they make the decision this is a guy we want to keep around, we're going to pay him, then I think you have to think about not making a long-term commitment to Robin Leonard and you know, not making a long-term commitment to, to Marcus Foligno, for example. I think you have to start making tough decisions like that. Yeah. I mean, there there's only a handful of guys, and I said this last podcast, like bring the same skill set to the table as Vander Kane does, and that him at 25 years old is uh, pretty valuable to have. And thinking about Vander Kane at 25 years old, I start thinking about Jack Eichel at 24. Huh. When he's a when he's when he's really in a man's body. Not that he isn't a big kid for 20 years old, but uh, oh my gosh, I just can't wait. <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna be so much fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's something we haven't gotten a chance to really do a lot in Buffalo and watch great players develop. And that's what you're seeing with Eichel. You, you see him take a clear step forward from last year to this year. And you see glimpses of what he could be defensively. I think about a couple instances in last night's game where he's just making great plays on the back check due to his speed. You know, able to just close on guys so quickly and be able to quickly lift their stick, make a nice quick play, and be able to go off, um, you know, go off racing in the other direction. And you see what he could be as an overall player, too. So there's still so much room to grow, but you see his incredible offensive skills every night. And he makes it he makes it worthwhile to watch the team. He's been one of the reasons why, despite there being no hopes really for this year, I still have tried to at least tune into as many of the games as I can. Yeah. Can you, what what exciting play can Jack make tonight? Yeah. I remember, yeah, I the second, the second Columbus game that I didn't want to watch it. And I was like, well, maybe Eichel will have a good, uh, a good move or two. And plus, I did want to see the Beyond Blue and Gold with the 10-year anniversary fight of the Senators brawl. I don't know if you got a chance to catch that, but that I was, did uh, watch it. Yeah, good. pretty good having uh, Lindy on there and uh, the Senators' old coach there, um, Harrington. Oh, it's not Harrington. No, it was Brian Murray. 
Brian Murray, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yep. And uh they had him on there and uh you know about the only person they were missing was uh was um Drew Stafford who was the only guy that stood up for uh And Murray Drury. And the, they didn't interview Drury yeah. either. Oh, which yeah, is kinda cool. surprising. He 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 doesn't want to even think about Buffalo. He he hate he hates us anyways. <laughs> hey, he got paid. He Yeah, yeah. He got paid and then left. Man. I'm not trying to cry on air right now, so. Well, <laughs> at least it, it really was a good thing that the Sabres didn't end up, like, matching the the Rangers or the Flyers contracts for Drury or Briere. Both, both those contracts ended up being horrible. The big mistake was not locking them up beforehand, not having the foresight to try to, you know, they always talk about the 5-by-5 yeah, five five deals or you could have gotten them both back potentially for five-year, five-million-dollar deals. Those would have been great, but it was nice that they at least didn't pay them what they ended up getting on the free agent market. Yeah, but then we matched the Oilers' offer on Vanek, so... Yeah, it would have been nice to have not matched that. It's, of course, impossible to know what the Oilers' picks would have been with Vanek added to their roster, but you look at what those picks turned into and you can't help but salivate a little bit. Yeah, and it was it was oh. horrible management to get themselves backed into a corner like that, where that was really, they really didn't have an option but to match that Vanek offer sheet. But you never want to be yeah. backed into a corner where you have to make one particular decision. Absolutely, but you know that's the past. I'm, I'm not living in the past anymore, even though I think about it all the time. <laughs> it's sad that was the last year they won a playoff series, so it's hard to not live in the past sometimes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, um, one we, me and you were talking before uh, we went on there and Mark and uh, talking about some of these guys who were uh, coming up and playing for their lives and uh, Evan Rodriguez, uh, what a player in my mind that's uh, really impressing me. Has brought a lot to the table. Uh, been been showing he can make plays of his speed, but also passing the puck well is a. He's been passing the puck great, and this is one area this team has struggled with a lot. And when the team has been cold this year, is because their passing has been so terrible, it horrendous. I O'Reilly the other night against the Kings, his I couldn't. I could barely stomach watching him pass the puck. He's usually one of the guys that can. Slap the puck around and put it on player stick, and he couldn't even keep. He couldn't make a pass on the ice to save his life against the Kings. Um. So, you know, seeing Rodriguez dishing out the puck, it's been uh, it's been a good thing for me. So I've been I've been pretty happy with uh Evans' performance the, the these last few games. Uh, I don't know if you wanna get anything to say add to that. Yeah, he's definitely fit right in. He looks like he belongs, and I'll double down on the statements that I made. I believe it was in our prior podcast that he's got to be the fourth-line center next year. I think at this point, if you're trying to pencil in next year's lineup, he's shown that he's he's an NHL player. He's got the versatility to be able to fit into your bottom six, and he can play up in the lineup if you need him to. And I know he's not the most physical guy in the world, but I think bottom sixes are moving away from that. You don't need to have six guys that can go and and put a guy through the boards but having a guy that can play center and wing he can skate like you said he can pass he'll probably put up 
decent points, even in a fourth-line role. Um, you know, you could maybe put up 20, 25 points. That's, that's something valuable. And yeah. he's shown no indication that he's going to be going back to Rochester. Yeah, he's he's been he's been very good. Uh, so, something that you know, every time I see seventy one on the ice, um, I got my eye on him lately. So uh, it's and generally that means that they're standing out and they're playing they're playing well. So I mean, among, amongst all the 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 feuding in the locker room between players and coaches, Evan Rodriguez comes to play. So that's been interesting. Another player who's came to play still is um. And we mentioned it a little bit last podcast too, but as a Vader Kane, you know, I know he's not his he hasn't been offensively productive, but he is seriously starting to dish the puck out as well too. He's not becoming that guy who can just just skates the puck and takes the shot. He's been dishing the puck out and um, really becoming a team player. Um, something that you know it keeps on bringing that that issue back up to me what are we going to do with him because he seems to really start to be gelling with his teammates yeah and i think the the way they've been using him too has certainly helped he's not a great defensive player and i don't think he's ever going to be he's not going to all of a sudden find that part of his game but he's been getting a lot more offensive zone starts and they've been able to let him do what he does best and that's get another four check you know try to establish the cycle be able to get pucks on net. And I think he's done a pretty good job doing that. Of course, like you said, the goals haven't been coming in bunches like they were previously, but we all knew that that wasn't going to be sustainable. He, he wasn't going to keep that up over the long term. But he's continued to play his game, and he continues to be good at the things that he's good at. He's not getting the same bounces. It seemed like every game he was getting a bounce that went his way where it resulted in a goal or an assist. So he's not getting those anymore, but I don't think his play has fallen off. No, no. So that's it, it's been that's been good. Um, it's been uh, it's been nice to see you know pick up pick out the the smaller things out of the out, out of this team than all the bad things. Uh, yeah, it's hard know, to not focus the, on negatives. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, we saw. Um, we saw that um, Fadoon was called back up uh, this week. Uh, I didn't see much of the game yesterday. I thought Fadoon looked pretty solid in the LA game for the first two periods that I watched. He got hurt yesterday, um, so he missed most of the game oh, yesterday. He okay. Yeah, he got yeah he got hit pretty hard by uh, by Troy Bodie. Or no, 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 by uh, by Jared Bull. Sorry, Jared okay. Bull. I don't know why another uh, another B name came into my head, but yeah. Yeah, was it Troy Bodie? Yeah, okay, no, 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 Jared Bull, another, another plug fourth line type, Troy Bodie. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, he took a pretty good shot. He tried to come back and then ended up sitting out the rest of the, sitting out the rest of the game. So I don't know if if I haven't looked at anything today. I don't know if they've come out with any sort of news as to if that's going to be anything long term or not. It was a it was a good hit. It was clean. He, yeah. it, you know, it was a it was a hard hit. Kind of made the pass and was exposed and then. You know, got hit solidly by a much bigger guy than he is, but yeah, I liked what he, I I like what he brings to the lineup. I thought he played well too, in that prior game, uh, and he's somebody that we've talked about in a pretty positive light. We we recognize what he is and that he's not gonna, he's never gonna be an all around complete top four defenseman or anything. But a guy that can pass is gonna stand out on this 
on this defensive core when so many guys struggle. You talked earlier about when this team struggles is because they're not they're not passing tape to tape. Well, he's been a guy who's, for the most part, been able to do that pretty well, and that's why I think he's stood out whenever he's been in the lineup. So I agree. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him back kind of with a similar Justin Falk-type contract and at least let him fight for a spot next year. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and it, it that's a that's the thing about Fadun. He's he will bring you that uh, that 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 uh, puck moving to the, the team that we lack in the defensive side. And uh, as a team that you know, I don't I don't see us bringing back Cody Franson, who's the same type of player essentially, but um, with a more with more of a shot than Fadun. But uh, I don't see that. I don't see him coming back at the end of the season either. He's a unrestricted free agent, uh, a player that I thought maybe would have been moved at the deadline, um, just like just like uh, Dmitry Kulikov, a guy I've been a fan of for about his whole career in the NHL, who recently just said he hates it here in Buffalo. So uh, we can't. We'll not expect those two guys to come back. This team is going to be lacking some defensemen. At the end of this year, uh, we have to protect three defensemen going into the this expansion as well. Obviously, Ristolainen and McCabe being two of the three. So, um, I saw that Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News uh, posted. No, was it Harrington or was it John uh, Vogel or whatever his name is? Uh, posted something. And Mark yeah, I think actually it was responded to him. John Vogel. Yeah, John Vogel uh, posted something, and he said the Sabres will end up protecting Bogosian. Mark did not like that and uh, wrote back to him, I saw. Well, it was um, and, it uh, was Ennis. He had he oh, had them Ennis, protecting okay. Ennis over Gergensen's. Yeah, that makes zero sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty much. And I said, yeah, Ennis, probably the second worst contract on the team. Another guy who follows the Sabres pretty closely. I went to St. Francis with. He must have seen it as well because I'm sure he he follows Vogel as well. And he and I go back and forth every once in a while about the Sabres. But he said that he thought Bogosian had the second worst contract on the team after Molson, not Ennis. Um, Then I disputed that. So I think that's where where Bogosian stuck in your head because it turned into talking about Bogosian. And I said, well, I think – you can make an argument that the Bogosian contract is worse than Ennis's because there's that extra year. There's still, you know, there's an extra year beyond when when Ennis's is up. But it's like a six point two two. But like I think right now you'd have to attach more to Ennis to get rid of him than you'd have to attach to Bogosian. I think they both have negative value, but I think that Ennis's value is more negative than Bogosian's. But you can make an argument in that in that direction. I think there's no argument to be made though that Gergensen's would be protected over Ennis. Yeah, maybe we can start throwing some NBA contracts out there, you know, like the like the um, Brock Osweiler trade. Sabres can start dealing these guys. <laughs> well, I'd love to or not get backed like, into a corner like that where you've got to attach, you know, the Texans atta- uh, trading away a second round pick to get rid of Osweiler. That's Pretty crazy. And a second round pick in the in the NFL is infinite, not infinitely, but significantly more valuable than a second round pick in the NHL. But that's that that's one of the worst contracts in the NFL. Yeah, obviously. So I mean, they get rid of that to open up that cast space. So, you know, a second round pick is you know a, a high price, but 
hey, if, if it's going to make your team that much better on the cap, a team that has made playoffs but lacks offensive um, uh, points, you know, kind of kind of makes sense to me. You know, you're losing, yeah, you're losing something out in the future or next year as in bringing a guy in the second round that could you could plug in somewhere, but they get rid of that contract's huge. Yeah, and I understand why they did it, of course. It's just um, ideally you'd never be put in the place where you have to make that decision. And I feel like the Sabres maybe could be put in that position by next offseason, possibly, where they have to try to trade away assets to get rid of some of these contracts or maybe have to think about buying out Matt Molson or something. But yeah, ideally you'd never have to get put in that place. and You never have to get put there in the first place. And you don't see... You don't see the, the really well-run teams having to do that too often. It does happen, though. Like Chicago, they had to attach uh, Tara Vinen to Brian Bickle to get rid of Brian Bickle. Um, yeah. Anaheim kind of screwed themselves over a little bit by giving Kevin Bieks a no-movement clause, so they have to protect him in the expansion draft. That's putting them in a tough bind. So it, do, it happens, even with the most with the best-run teams. But Yeah. I don't know. It's... It's not a great position to be in. Spe- speaking of Matt Molson, um, <laughs> his awful contract. Uh, did you see him? Um, they interviewed him after the first period of the San Jose game. What did he say? <laughs> um, they just interviewed him, asked him, because um, he had that assist to Eichel for Eichel's 20th goal. And uh, I wish I could pull up a picture and show you what he looked like. He was talking, and his lips weren't moving. He looked like he was going through a pretty hard time or something. It was weird. It was like he was a, like someone was speaking for him, like a ventric, ventrigu, ven, you know, ventriloquist. Yeah, a ventriloquist. <laughs> I, couldn't get, I couldn't get it out. It's all good. The puppeteer um, <laughs> uh, was, like, controlling him, and he, like, his the noise wasn't matching his mouth, and it just looked like he was beat up and left out in the streets for three nights in a row or something. I remember hearing that in the background. Typically during the intermissions, though, I'm not watching the screen, so I probably didn't actually see that happen. But oh, he's, I, he looks bad. He looks real bad. Y- yeah, I mean, he's a greasy, greasy guy to start with, and he yeah get through an entire period and yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's taken some sticks to the face over this year too, so that doesn't help things. Yeah, but you know. But yeah, I mean, even you know, even without all that, it's not like Matt Molson is looking like a like a million bucks talking in an interview. <laughs> yeah, it was just just like he he was barely getting words out of his mouth, and and like his mouth wasn't even moving, but there was sound coming out. It was just the <laughs> oddest thing. I'm, like, watching this, and I <laughs> couldn't believe it. Well, I did watch the intermission yesterday. They interviewed Ryan O'Reilly, and, of course, the sound didn't work. I don't know what it is. The, the Sabres broadcast, just they have constant technical issues. One of my favorites, or one of mine and Nadia's favorites, is they listed Robin Leonard playing on the fourth line one game. <laughs> yeah, I caught that. She got a picture of it on her, on her phone. They do stuff like that all the time. They're always issues. Yeah, get me a job. I can, I'll, I'll, I won't screw anything up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're available nice here there. on the Sabre Talk podcast. 
Yeah, you know, bringing me and Mark to ho- the, run the technology. and I mean, I'll, I pour a mean cup of coffee, too, you know, so well, that's I, always that. I do guarantee you, you or I would be a better co-host than Andrew Peters to fill in for Brad May. Yeah, 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 definitely. He's, <laughs> he's goon. Yeah, but he he was out of place on TV too. He looked like um like Ricky Bobby. Like I don't know what to do with my hands. Like I, he was kind of just yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he wasn't like doing man. anything weird necessarily with his hands, but he just looked like he didn't know what to do with his body on TV. I don't know. That was just my that was my impression. I guess maybe I watch the intermission more than I think I do now that I've brought up yeah. two separate examples. Well, you know, Peters is on TV five days a week, too, on MSG for, uh, the show is televised on MSG yeah. for the instigators, too, so you think you'd be, uh, you think you'd be, you know, used to it by now. I still can't believe that's the Sabre-centric show, like, for the entire, for yeah. all of Western New York, that it's... Craig Rave who hated playing in Buffalo, and Andrew Peters, who was... You know, I mean, granted, he made it to the NHL. You know, it's the hardest thing to do in the sport, but uh, on on his own ter- on different terms than he would probably would have liked to be. You know, well, a lot of times the fringier guys make better analysts. Like uh, Donald Jones, I thought is he's been a good addition to the John Murphy show. I think he's well spoken and brings a different perspective. Especially John Murphy, mm-hmm. such a homer, but. Um, I don't know. I don't think Peters brings any sort of unique analysis to the table. They they have good stories sometimes, yeah. but I don't know. I don't I don't think that's a very good show. I think you could you could have guys with significantly more, not even insider knowledge necessarily, but that could be talking, could have a much better eye of what's going on around the league and everything. I just I, I don't think they do a very good job of that. I always like it. They bring Michael Pekka in once in a while. I always like it when they, if Pekka's going to be on, I'll come and watch the show. Yeah. I'll join in those ones. Yeah. Pekka's, uh, I like Pekka. My first, yeah. He, I'm very, very, very smart. Doesn't need to speak out a turn or anything because, you know, he, he just talks facts and he's, uh, he's, you know, I'm biased as well because he was my first favorite hockey player ever. Michael Pecka, number 27, with the C on his chest for the god dang Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. He's definitely a, a fan favorite. I mean, I don't really know anybody that doesn't like him. Maybe they were left with a bad taste in their mouths with how he left, but I think a lot more people blame the Sabres than they blame Pekka. Yeah, definitely. And I, 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 I like... Uh, at the NHL, he told a story one time. He's on there. He's talking about being uh, going to the NHL awards after the '99 uh, uh, Stanley Cup Finals. There, and he uh, looked at Bateman and uh, said, uh, he, "He said, uh, Bateman looked at him and said, I believe we have something to talk about because uh, Pekka told him to screw off or something after the game.' And uh, he said, if, he said." He said that wasn't a goal, and if you if it's not an apology, we have no reason to talk. And Bateman turned around and w- walked away. <laughs> yeah, good. Put I mean, talk, put Bateman in his place. Guy, I yeah. Talk about a guy who just stick to his guns uh, with Michael Pecker there. Tough. That's a that's a hockey player. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny to Bateman no matter where he go. I feel like he's not liked in any 
Amer- any hockey city, certainly not any Northern American, like, uh, you know, Buffalo or Detroit or any city in the northern part of the United States or Canadian cities. He's hated in the traditional hockey markets. Um, and that was probably bound to happen no matter what. He was a basketball guy that didn't come up, you know, didn't come of age in hockey or anything and came and tried to bring a lot of the NBA tricks and all that to, to the NHL. And it's it's different. Obviously, a lot of the things that work in one sport will work in the other. But, yeah, Batman. Not my cup of tea whatsoever. I'm no big critic look there. The se- look look at the season this year and the past seasons and people freaking out about coaches challenges and offside calls and there's been a lot there's been a lot going on this year that you know, the game suspensions you know, you you get uh you, you get um uh, who was the guy that hit Spurgeon in the face of a stick there? Uh, Gustav Nyquist. Yeah, Gustav Nyquist gets suspended for what, four games. Yeah, it was something like that. It was. It might games, may have been but, three. But Antoine Vermette gets kicked uh, suspended for ten for tapping the tapping a ref on the on the rear end of a stick after a bad faceoff draw. I mean, granted, you yeah, the the officials are completely off. Uh, you cannot touch an official. These guys are out there risking their lives essentially to play, to officiate these games with the best hockey players in the world. And uh, but you know, where do you draw the line when someone freaking slaps someone in the in the in, right next to the eye with their blade of their stick on purpose? You know. Yeah, it does seem so. completely unequal because. You have these rules where, like, if somebody touches an official, this is how much they get suspended. Which, okay, if you have that rule in place, fine. But then you got to have the punishments for other crimes need to basically fit that punishment as well. They need to match. And you could have a similar rule where if somebody looks to intentionally slash a player up above the neck, you could have a, you could have a similar rule like that, like it's an automatic 10 games no matter what. But they should they should have some sort of corollary there that it shouldn't be it shouldn't be so unequal like that but yeah yeah that's just one of many issues you can have with with the batman regime i know another another issue is that a lot of the canadian fans feel like you know they're it, it, it's so american centric which makes sense when that's where the bigger markets are and that's where the league's trying to expand but they feel like a lot of the traditional markets have been ignored while trying to expand into the Floridas and the Arizonas and, you know, the Texases of the world where it's very difficult for hockey to ever catch on. And then also the the quality of the game too, where you've seen what's worked coming out of the lockout with letting speed really take control of the game and calling a lot of obstruction. And they've gone away from that largely and the plays deteriorated, scoring's come down. So those are probably the two biggest issues I have with them. Yeah. Yep. Um. So, uh, what else is on your mind, Mark? Uh, I think uh, we should probably expand a little more about the trade deadline. We haven't yes, really talked yes. about it in detail. I know you've you've alliterated it, or uh, you've mentioned it a couple times. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's uh, you know, number one, this was something that you know, I'm not upset about just because I was excited about the trade deadline. I did not expect Evander Kane to be moved at the deadline whatsoever. We we I think we pretty much both made that clear. 
uh, on our last podcast. But the, for Kulikov, a guy who hates it here, not to be moved, a guy, Cody France, and we know we're not making playoffs. Anders Nilsson could have been moved, a, a guy who's been great, has had, well, not great, but has put up very good numbers. Uh, I feel like any team that needed a backup death for a playoff run would really use a player like Anders Nielsen for uh, for their team. But uh, for us not to make any moves besides uh, trading, uh, swapping some AHLers, um, I'm completely disappointed in Murray. Uh, and I've and I've been on the Murray fan wagon since he's really got here. Um, I dig his character. I I like that he wasn't afraid to make big moves, even though he meant mo- moving lots of pieces. But this trade lo- deadline was a complete bust. I know he said he came out and said, "I'm not going to trade my players or nothing. I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to uh, just get, give away players for." Uh, nickels and dimes, but I mean, what what value are they holding once the season's over, or even right now when we already know we're not making playoffs? If you can get an extra third round pick or an extra fourth round pick for Cody Franson or Dmitry Kulikov or Anders Nielsen, you do it. Y- you know, Brian Giant not moving Gianta, I can understand if he really wants to come back and be on this team next year. I understand that. I can understand that. But not not that, you know, everyone wants him back, but he did have a great year this year. He's he came here for a job to rebuild this team and the job isn't complete. So I think he wants to come back for another year or two. And as long as the salary's right, I have no problem with it. But not getting rid of Kulikov, Franson our Nielsen is just mind-boggling to me. I, you know, you, you, you I, wh- what do you think, Mark? Yeah, I completely agree. You, you made a lot of the points I was, I was planning to make there, and I think that your assessment is correct as to what happened with Murray. So I think first of all, he missed out the the best the best deals from a seller's perspective were made in the days leading up to the deadline, and the market dried up at the end. So initially. I think he calculated it wrong. I think he thought maybe prices would would come up, and so he waited. That's been his mo. He's always waited. They haven't really made many deals leading up to the deadline. the The deals when they've been trading expiring contracts have been made in the last hours. You know, that's when they when they traded away Matt Molson. It was that way. When they traded away Chris Stewart, it was that way. Those are a couple that I can remember off the top of my head. But those came in. You know, the last hour, last half hour before the trade deadline. Uh, so I think he waited too long initially. I think he miscalculated it, which is okay. That's going to happen. You're going to miscalculate what's happening on the market. So much of it's out of your control that sometimes things aren't going to go your way and you're going to you're going to make the wrong call. But he compounded it by I think having a certain price in his mind. This is what I think these guys are worth. I'm asking for a fair price. That's what he's thinking in his mind. That's what he said in his press conference. This is this is the value my guys. That's what I'm asking for. You can take it or leave it. And obviously the market wasn't going in that direction and the prices being paid were not at that point. So rather than suck up his pride and be willing to take whatever the market was offering him, which he should have done, he instead held on to his guys. He couldn't suck up his pride and take less for them. And yeah, would it maybe have been fourth and fifth round picks rather than second and third round picks he was getting back for his guys? Maybe. 
But at the end of the day, you still got to make the call that's doing the most to improve your team. And these guys are going to walk for nothing. And even if even if they are to bring back Cody France, which I think still is a possibility maybe to, to be on the third pairing, I think he's had a decent year, that he's still somebody you could have gone out and tried to get in the offseason. Him going away for 25 games wasn't really going to do much to impact whether or not he'd be willing to come back to Buffalo in the offseason. So I agree with you. I think it's a big blunder on Murray's part. He's too proud, and he wasn't willing to suck up that pride and accept less than what he was asking. And I think we should yeah. be criticizing him heavily for that. I think the only way I want Fronson back next year is he wears a cage all year long. <laughs> <laughs> Just because... You're untouchable of that thing. Who's gonna screw with you? You know, you can't you can't hit him in the face. He's a big guy. You know? Wearing the but, cage would be yeah. nice. I don't yeah. think he's had a bad uh, year though. You know, relative to expectations. I wouldn't want him back at his same salary. But no, hell no. <laughs> I think if you could get him back, you know, one and a half, two million dollars or something, I I don't know what the market'll bear for him. I think he's a he's a serviceable number five, number six guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone you can throw on your second power play unit. Um, but it's still, you know, it's, it's nothing that you're excited about. It's not, it's not sexy. It's not, it's not what you want, but you know, yeah, he can come get the job done on the third pairing. Uh, that being said, third, you know, I, I gotta get off this deadline because <laughs> I'm, it, it, this is what started my, my hate, my hiatus with, uh, with, the Sabres for a little bit and uh but um speaking of uh pairings what uh you know what what can we expect to see I I mean I I don't know what we can reasonably expect but uh we have we have a a glaring problem on this team and every Sabres fan knows it that we have no defense we have um Jake McCabe who's Look good with uh, Rista Lion this year, but when you really come down to it, you know, you, you could pass him up as your the play of Rista Lion, but he's really not going to be on a good team. He's your fourth defenseman, you know, yeah. uh, a playoff team. Um, we have Zach Bogosian, who's getting paid a whole bunch of money, but maybe plays better underneath a different coach, as you said. Uh, him, his skill set not fitting in with Dan Bilesma's system is evident. And uh, we have Rissa Lyon, who's just a workhorse and, you know, gets it done and is way overplayed. Uh, so there's some, there's going to be some holes to avoid. Uh, we, we will still have Josh Georges, too. I don't see a contract buyout coming next year, but who knows. Uh, I don't see Vegas taking him. <laughs> I don't know, his last year of his deal. So, um, this team needs to get better defensively if we want to make a push for the playoffs next year. Uh, do you have any ideas how they could attack this, Mark? Well, I think right now, this is kind of the structure I'm thinking. I think you have Ristolainen, Spenslin is that first pairing on the right side. Then I think McCabe ideally would be playing on the second pair. Like you said, he probably should be ideally the fourth defenseman, third at best, but that's kind of what you hope he grows into. Um, he'd be the left side defenseman on that second pairing. And then Bogosian, I think you can't go in with him penciled in in your top four next year. So I think right now you you have to have him 
on your third pairing right now and hope he bounces back and maybe he proves you wrong. And I think you can't have Georges penciled into your top six next year. He's got to be your seventh or eighth guy in extra. Um, and I know it hurts to be to have a $3.9 million cap hit for a guy that's not in your everyday lineup, but his play has really just fallen off. It's not like it was at a super high level two years ago, but the last two years he's been next to useless. And I number one thing, I don't want Georges and Ristolainen playing together. If Georges and Ristolainen are playing together, then Murray's going to be fired next year. The team's not going to be playing well enough for him to keep his job. But I think you've got to figure out how to fill those holes. Maybe Gooley comes in and can be the third-pairing left-side guy. Um, that could work. We'll see. Uh, I'm not penciling him in there yet. I think still has a, you know, there's still a lot of time left before that point. Ideally, he'd be sent down to the minors. But you have three spots to fill there. So you, you hope you can go out and you can find a partner for Ristolainen, another, another righty to play on the second pairing with McCabe, and then... Uh, hopefully solid number five, number six type guy and not not go in having to depend on Gooley being in the everyday lineup. What are what are your is, opinions? Do you is, have any targets in mind or Well is Ju- is Justin Falk uh is uh could be your fifth guy there that you're talking about right now? I would hope he's not in your everyday lineup either. I like carrying eight defensemen, so I wouldn't mind having both Georges and Falk as our as our extras, I know that Bilesma didn't Something like to do that for whatever done, reason. Yeah. yeah. Um. Um. I don't know. I I mean, I, I'm a. I pulled up uh, some under some of the unrestricted free agents. I have no one specifically in mind. Um. Maybe maybe a a, a Chris Roussel. Um. I know he's uh seen his better days, but. You know, maybe someone that could be viable to this team. Um, yeah, that was somebody I, I would have loved sure. for them to be in on this past offseason. They just put themselves into a horrible cap situation. They kind of spend it all on, on Oposo, which I understand, but more of the bad contracts from the past that this team somehow is up against the cap, which is kind of embarrassing. I, <laughs> I, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be a fan of them bringing in Del Zotto. I think he's really passes uh time here and uh playing for uh philly well yeah i think he'll Um, he'll just be overpaid by somebody i think that yeah he's still fairly young but i did see that the sabers are inquired about a guy in the khl Um, oh yeah and teepin yes yes um i don't know much about the player so i couldn't i couldn't really speak about him um but there, but there's there's needs, uh, real 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 needs for this, uh, for the Sabers to do something, and uh, I don't know I don't know who it is. I mean, we need a we need someone to play on the left side of Russell Lyon, and we were hoping that was gonna be Kulikov, but he hates us, <laughs> so um, we can put we can not think about that anymore. And, and Teepin, too, probably will be at least that third-pairing left-side defenseman. So I left him out. I know they haven't officially signed him yet, but it does sound like he's a guy that's expected to step right in. Uh, I've seen him mm-hmm. compared to, to, to Zaitsev from the Leafs. Okay. Um, kind of mo- more of an offensive guy, not super physical. 
Um, he's 24, I believe, almost 25. Maybe we'll be 25 by the time next season rolls around. But a lot of KHL experience. I haven't watched him personally, so this is all secondhand, what I'm saying. But um, yeah. has some offensive tools, can move the puck, can skate. Um, not a not an offensive dynamo, but maybe somebody you could expect 25, 30 points from as a high end. That's kind of what kind of what Zaitsev is. But that would be a nice yeah, get. I, He'd be cheap, and I like exploring the KHL route. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of it. There's uh there's players out there's real good players out there that could compete in the NHL level. Um, I mean we've had players leave the NHL to go play at the KHL multiple different times. So I'm not saying that the KHL is anywhere near the elite league of the NHL. But it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely right up there with the rest of the leagues in the world, if not the second best league in the world. So, um, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. And this is a place where you can come in and get minutes. That's probably what Antipin saw. This hasn't been a popular place for Russians to come. And you had Kulikov. It really. The only recent instance since they've traded away Grigorenko and Zadorov, and it hasn't yeah. been great for him. So I can't imagine the Sabres are number one if you're ranking all the teams of where you'd want to come as a Russian. Probably wouldn't be number one. But if you're looking for a place where you can come with talent and you and you can get minutes, it makes a lot of sense for for Antipin. Yeah, you think. Um... There has to be something answered, and I completely agree with you um, with what you said about if Georges comes in slotted on the left-hand side of Rissa Lyon this year, I'm done with Murray. I've been I've been a guy who's who's supported Murray since he's got here. I've been on the the uh, fan wagon, and uh, if if Georges comes in, it just shows how bold-headed and ignorant Murray really is so well I have to imagine any other coach wouldn't stand for it either like I don't know why they yeah. keep thinking that this works but it just doesn't <laughs> yeah well um and anything else you, you got in mind Mark what I would like to see yeah. on, the, on the defense and it's impossible to really say anybody with certainty here but hopefully the expansion draft gives them some sort of avenue to try to trade for somebody at maybe slightly less than market value that a team doesn't want to expose, but they can't, you know, they can't protect them. And maybe yeah. that's a way that you could you could trade Kane because the way that the rules work, you can protect more forwards. You know, assuming you do the seven and three, the seven three one um, alignment or whatever you want to call it, that that grouping. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you can protect seven forwards with only three defensemen, so maybe you could trade Kane for somebody slightly more valuable as a defenseman, but because that team can protect them in their seven forwards, they'd like to do that, so that makes their unprotected list less uh, less enticing for Vegas. So I don't know really what that'll be. Minnesota people always talk about, but they've got a lot of, a lot of important guys that they need to protect up front and on the back end. Uh, so I don't necessarily see that being an awesome fit. Yeah, Anaheim people talk nice to about too, but they also have tough, very tough decisions to make up front. Like they're pro they may have to expose Silverberg. So, yeah, and, we'll and, see. And you gotta think, 
you know, Anaheim would be nuts to get rid of Fowler after the season he's had. I mean, can you imagine us bringing him in last year when everyone was talking about the trade buzz being hot with Sabres and Anaheim for Fowler before the season started? Um, he's had a real good season. One of my, one of my favorite players to watch in the league, actually. Oh, yeah. If I, I get to watch West Coast teams. I like him a whole lot, and I actually wouldn't be that surprised if Anaheim trades him just because I think he's a he's an impending, not an impending unrestricted free agent, but he's approaching free agency, and I think they could trade him before, you know, it becomes clear they're going to lose him. I don't think they're going to be able to fit him into their salary structure long term with all these other young defensemen they have. I do think he is, yeah. in the long term, the odd man out. Um, I don't know if the Sabres would be able to, to put together the package required to, to to get him. I feel like it would have to be probably NHL-ready prospect types that could come in and contribute to Anaheim right away, maybe not at the level of Fowler. I think that's what they'd be looking for. You know, Maybe kind of when they traded Bobby Ryan and they got Silverberg and other pieces back. Um, I don't know if the Sabres really have the ability to make that kind of deal, but yeah, it'll be interesting. It would... It would be tough to be a, an Anaheim fan though and watch somebody like that go because I agree with you he's a lot of fun to watch and not somebody you'd want to let go it's probably a similar discussion to what we're having right now with Evander Kane where we yeah. respect the yeah. guy a ton and we don't want him to leave but it may just be necessary to get rid of him to to, to trade him just because of salary and, and the cap it'd be it'd be interesting I know a lot of people have called up uh, on Buffalo radio station and uh, talked about well, what about a when the deadline talk was going on, and uh, what about you know trying to get Fowler for Kane at the deadline and uh, making a move there? And I, something I didn't see either team want either of those guys leaving either teams this season at the deadline. But uh, it's definitely an interesting thought. Yeah, uh, I really wanted to make that try to work in my head because, like you, I like Fowler a whole lot, and I would have liked to see him here, but. It was very difficult for me to put together a Kane to Anaheim trade that would work for both sides. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe the offseason changes things. I don't know. I did like that uh, the idea of <laughs> trying to trade Kane to Anaheim for Monador and uh, who's the other defenseman they had there? for Montour and Shea Theodore. Yeah, yeah Theodore. That would have been. Uh, I would have took that deal right away, I think. Because uh, I think those guys, those are two upcoming players that will be pretty good in the league. And that's why that Anaheim could get rid of uh, Fowler and and uh, be all right because they, got, they have younger guys like you mentioned before. Yeah. And I think that's why I couldn't really reconcile, from their perspective, making a deal for Kane because I feel like they see, okay, Fowler – we're probably going to have to move on from him, whether they wait till he leaves as a free agent or they trade him before then. And these are the guys that are making him expendable. So why would we go out and trade him, trade yeah. them for another guy that's a free agent next year that maybe they wouldn't be able to retain? It just never made sense to me from from their perspective to do. But I agree with you; those are two very promising defensemen, and uh, it it would be nice to be in Anaheim's position at least defensively. They have a an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, the very very well ran team 
pretty much. Uh, I know you did mention Kevin Biesca, Biesca earlier, but uh, very well-read team. Uh, I always like to come try to see them when they come to town, uh, when they come to Buffalo, because uh, I'm a huge Ryan Kessler fan. Yeah. Kessler is uh, – and Ryan Gitzloff too. I mean, come on. those You got two of the best centers right there. My favorite American player before – well, before the last couple of years was uh, was Kessler, uh, just a hard nosed, tough centerman who can score points, pass the puck, not afraid to lay a hit, and great at faceoffs. And Getzloff, still, you know, the complete package. Really, he's one of my favorite players in the league as well. So Anaheim's always been a team I've been a little envious of. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, they've. I feel like they've done a really good job because Kessler was was one of those deals where they kind of cashed in on on their pick on their young players and, and prospects and picks, and were able to make this big addition. They felt like, okay, we need another dynamite centerman to be able to compete in the West, and they were able to do that. And they seem to time those moves really well. Um, and I feel like they could do the reverse with Fowler. Um, Kessler definitely one of those guys that you either love or hate. A lot of people really yeah. hate him. But you tend to like those kind of guys. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of most it, most of people that hate him are Canadian, anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he he. But yeah, I do I do like the controversial guys. Uh, you don't you don't know about him as much as when it comes to hockey as you would in the NBA or NFL because hockey's such a different sport when it comes to stuff like that. But. Uh, yeah, unless you're like Sean Avery, but um, yeah, you gotta respect Kessler, uh, you gotta respect Kessler regardless of whether you like him or oh. not, though, because like you said, guys like that are so valuable. He can score. He's a he's a guy that's gonna go against top lines every night, and yeah, uh, de- defensively yeah. sound, great player. Yeah, you ever uh, seen a? I don't know you've seen probably uh, between two ferns with Zach Galifianakis. He does his own show. In Anaheim, it's called uh, Between Two Zambonis. Oh, uh, I have not he, seen that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. He's a character. He gets Gesloff on there. I guess he always talks crap about Corey Perry. I guess him and Corey Perry don't get along too well. <laughs> yeah, those oh. are two guys that Corey Perry, another one that's not very well liked by most fans around the league. But you got to respect him. Yeah. And incredible yeah. that they hit on two late picks in that. 2003 first round and really hitting on late picks like that set up what's been a really great run for that franchise yeah you don't see you don't see you don't see teams being able to do that it's uh like you said pretty incredible one guy that gets a lot of flack around the league that i refuse to respect though is brad marchand even though he's putting up one hell of a season this year at the Boston Bruins. Yeah, I'm seeing people saying he should be in the Hart Trophy conversation, which I would I'm, hate to see. I'm saying, I'm seeing this. I'm saying he should be in the. He's already won the Slewfoot Trophy, in my opinion. So, <laughs> um, so he got. You know, he's gonna at least win that this year. Yeah, yeah. If they came out with that trophy, he's <laughs> he'd definitely be be in strong contention. But yeah, he's a great player. I. Somebody I will never like. Uh, obviously, he's been a real thorn in our side for a while, and really runs his mouth. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, I don't like anyone in Boston. I never have. I've been one of the 
biggest Daniel Chara haters since he even was in on the Islanders. But uh, you know, so they have him. They have Marchand. I respect the heck out of Patrice Bergeron. I think he's a really good player. You know, always has been. But uh, just one of those, you know, Boston, every Boston sport. If you're from Buffalo, especially, you don't like Boston sports. Yeah, we got a lot of Red Sox bandwagoners, though, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I freaking hate that. Even though Mark, you know, Mark has Red Sox ties into his family, actually. Uh, all the females in his family love the Red Sox, so. Yeah, I mean, my mom, my mom's the only one I could call an actual fan i know she she typically listens to these so she'll probably hear this conversation um she did live in you know she did live in new england for a time she lived in boston for a time so she at least has a has a connection there i have a bigger like right across the street or something like that she lived nearby i don't know the details really um and i don't know i probably should know exactly how long she lived there but so she's got a soft spot for the Patriots and for the Celtics and for the Red Sox and, you know, even kind of for the Bruins, which is probably the worst of them all. But <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. <laughs> the Patriots, at least, I mean, I can understand at that point in time, you know, when she was about our age, they were a horrible franchise, and they had been bad for a long time. I mean, they're like us talking about the Bills now. So... You could kind of, you could like them and the Bills concurrently, and it was kind of like there there may be some Patriots fans out there that are our age now that say, oh yeah, I don't mind the Bills because they're not a threat. It's the same, so I can understand that one yeah. at least. But the the Bruins uh, or the Red Sox, uh, the, the whole the whole sports all the sports team in Boston is just oh, unacceptable. I, I I can't I can't stomach it. You know, I got owned so hard by a Patriots fan a couple of years ago um, at the at at the security line. I uh, I have a, a a catchphrase I've used at football games for years. Um, I'm not gonna say exactly the words, but I hey nice Tom Brady jersey, you get a free sex toy of that <laughs> and um and uh you know only i would say that to only males obviously i wouldn't go out and you know say it to females and be too disrespectful um but i uh the one guy came up to me and just shoved cold hard facts down my throat about the patriots and the bills for the last 17 years and i took it and i go this is the reason why i do this stuff because I have lived of this, you don't understand, and it, it, it doesn't make me. It doesn't make my me acceptable, and it doesn't make me able to to say such ridiculous things to people that I don't know. But it's been hard. It's been hard. I, I don't want to be that prototypical jerk at this, the game that you're that sits behind you and gives you crap because you are a New England Patriots fan. But you don't understand the nightmares and daunting it has on. Mine and Mark's life. I mean, we're Mark. Uh, Mark, you'll be what twenty five soon? Pretty pretty soon here. Yeah, in a couple months. Mark will be twenty five here in a couple months. I'll be twenty five in October, and uh, and uh, we've lived with this. Uh, this this uh, New England Patriots over the Buffalo Bills head for and made us pretty much irrelevant 
single-handedly by them almost. Well, I don't think we would have been relevant even absent the Patriots, but it certainly hasn't helped. No, it, it, it's 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 the worst thing that's, that you could ever happen to a football team. And I, and I know this is a hockey podcast, but people ask me why I'm so salty about the Patriots and that, like the team and stuff, and it's just it's it's been nothing but nightmares. I mean, how can you get in playoffs? How can you win the division? You can't. I mean, it's like impossible. It's going to be like this for years to come. Still, I, I, I believe for, you know, no one. The Patriots are going to win the AFC East for the next four to five years. Why, Brady or Belichick are still there? Belichick will be there longer, and Brady will be retiring probably in you know three years or so, hopefully. But no one's going to beat them out of the division. I don't see it happening. Unless Belichick has a stroke and Brady breaks his leg again, I it's been terrible. I'm sorry for that rant. No, it's I'm all right. Sorry. I think um, when we're bringing it back to talking about Boston fans, I think Patriots fans. You have two dis- two pretty distinct groups, and you have the people who are real fans. They've be- they've been with them since they were bad. And they know what they're talking about. And they're generally pretty respectful. I've had some really good conversations with Patriots fans. We have some pretty close friends with Boston because we go... My family went all growing up vacationing up in Vermont every year. So a lot of those people were Patriots fans. Uh, There are a lot of good fans in that group. But the far bigger group is the group that came and jumped on the bandwagon. It's a lot of people that aren't even from New England or don't have connections to New England. And because... The Red Sox have been good now for, you know, 15 years. And the Patriots have been good for more than 15 years. They've jumped on the whole Boston sports bandwagon. And those people don't know what they're talking about. They're going to, you know, they're just going to throw things down your throat. They're going to they're gonna be just as trollish as you are as a Bills fan. And those are the people that I hate interacting with. And those are the people that seem to go to Bills games the most. Because if you think about it, there aren't a ton of people that have moved from Boston to Buffalo and are coming to Bills games, you know, because, oh, yeah, I grew up a Patriots fan, now I'm coming to a Bills game. A lot of those people are people from Buffalo that have become Patriots fans just to troll Bills fans. So that's why it's a toxic combination at games. Yeah, and I'm sure you yeah. probably have experience of interacting with far more of those types of people than, you know, people that know what they're talking about. Yeah, like that one guy at the <laughs> at the gate. Man, he owned me. He's like, and you guys just freaking suck. And he's like, and he, I don't even remember what statistics he was throwing out, but they were, he, he knew it. He knew what he was talking about, and I chose the wrong person. <laughs> To say that too, but you know what? I probably said it to at least thirty people wearing Tom Brady jerseys. Yeah. So and you gotta say probably at least twenty to twenty-five of them were in that latter category I was talking yes. about. Yeah, just oh, people absolutely. there to instigate and. I say we started a podcast about New England sports and how much we hate them because I'd be into that. That would just feed in too much. I don't want to. That would show that they've just won overall. They, haven't they already? Well, let's see what happens to that franchise <laughs> once Brady retires. I think that's, and I've yeah, got to think, think it's. Bil- I think Belichick's the problem more than Brady. They both are, but I. They wouldn't be the same threat they are without without Brady. They would still be very good, and you could see it when they had Matt Castle 
for that year, and they went still went ten and six, but they didn't win the the AFC East that year. No, no, they didn't. Um, the Jets did. Yep. Rex Ryan and the Jets. <laughs> yep. Um, what do you think about uh, what do you think about you know? It's been pretty interesting. Have you been paying attention to the the Bills uh off season um free agency acquisitions? Uh, Michael Micah Hyde, Stephen Hauska. Um. Yep. Yep. I've been pl- paying pretty close attention. Um, I liked the Hyde signing. I think he's going to be a guy you can use in a lot of different ways, and that's what it seems like McDermott wants. Yeah. Um, I liked the Andre Holmes pickup. That finally went through today after some weird rescinding yeah. of the initial contract, and I don't know what, what, what was going on there. The I guess the NFLPA jumped the gun on that one. Too. Yeah. But yeah, that that's a that's a definitely your best wide receiver uh, pickup so far, and uh, they've signed a couple guys that you know might make the practice squad and will be cut. Um, yeah, I think I think Philly Brown will be in the mix. You know, might end up being the number four guy. Um, I don't mind that pickup. He was a guy that Carolina fans seemed to be pretty excited about going into last year, but didn't get a whole lot of opportunities. And I think honestly, yeah. in in this offense, how much do they use a the number two receiver anyways? It's not a position yeah. that you should, I think, be investing big money into because they're not, they're not going to get used much. Yeah, I I think that's why you see um, we signed uh, you know Tolbert for a short short package, uh, you know third and goal and third and one and fourth and ones. We we brought Tolbert in for that, and uh, we brought in. Um, the Patrick DeMarco, DeMarco, yeah, DeMarco, yeah, Patrick DeMarco, uh, for an actual fullback. So it should be interesting to see what we have in there. Uh, you know, it'd be really fun to do a a, a pre-draft uh podcast for the Bills or something. Uh, yeah, just, we could uh, try to roll that into this and just uh make it clear this episode will be about the Bills. We probably will be reaching for yeah. topics if we try to do this on a weekly basis throughout the off season. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So. Maybe throw some mm. Bills conversation in there. Um, I, yeah. I think generally they've done about what you can expect. Probably the big, the big decision was keeping Tyrod, but that seemed to be a good move from a Bills perspective. Not a lot of guaranteed money there, and they yeah. can get out of that, out of that deal after this yeah, year with basically years. no, mo- no dead money. So mm-hmm. if they want to move on from Tyrod after this year, they easily can. I don't know if they will. They may end up going with him for another year, but. Um, that was decent. I mean, all the cuts pretty much made sense. I didn't like spending that much money on a kicker, on Hauschka. I wasn't a yeah. fan of that contract. A guy who's mis- mix, mi- you know, everyone in their right mind wanted to uh, complain about Carpenter last year, missing extra points. And, yeah, Carpenter didn't have a very good season last year. Not a player that I could blame the Bills being bad on. Yeah. Um, but um, I do like – House are coming in just for the simple fact that we will not be wasting two spots on a kicker anymore. Yeah, that's uh, that's good at least on, on a game day roster. Yeah, I hated that months. always. Yeah, um, but is it worth paying you know three plus million dollars a year to a kicker to do that when there certainly would be cheaper options out there? But I guess in the grand scheme of things. It, in the grand scheme of things, a couple million dollars isn't that big of a deal for the cap. Yeah. Uh, but I think Buffalo fans, we do that with kickers. Uh, 
and you see people doing it with goalies too to bring this back to the Sabers. <laughs> but how many people are blame Leonard for some of these losses when he's been very good most nights? I don't think you can't point at him and say goaltending has been the issue for this team. I'm not saying it's been the best goaltending in the league, but it's been pretty darn good, but people still will call Leonard an AHL caliber goalie. Yeah. And like, he's the reason why this team isn't, why this team is bad. Yeah. Outlandish. It's a, you know, there's been certain times in the season and I'm talking, you know, week, couple week stretches that he's been the MVP of this team. Sure, he's, you know, he's had bad games, but he's had very good games and he's been very, very good. That save on Brett Burns in San Jose last week, uh, he went out there and attacked him and uh, got the pat, his uh, left pad on the, on the shot, you know, doesn't get Brett Burns. Who you know? That's a guy that you could even talk about winning uh, a Hart Trophy this year. Um, he's been very good for that team. Yeah, uh, win the Norris the at the least. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he has to win the Norris in my opinion. But, I think with uh, these kind of numbers, yeah, it's kind of impossible yeah. to ignore. You never yeah, know, though. I mean, there does seem to kind of be a bias against offense first defensemen yeah. in that in that voting. But we'll see. True. But in my mind. Burns has it, and he could, you know, he could, you know, he could be considered for the heart too. And uh, I think the last player to be able to do that was like Chris Pronger, I think maybe. That uh, sounds I could right. Be wrong on that. But uh, so, you know, Leonard making that save though, going back to that, is just uh, what it, what he goes out and attacks. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't sit back and think where most goalies would, you know, sit there and let him a guy that's elite take a snipe him out he attacked him so he had to get rid of the puck um very very good play by robin leonard there against san jose on tuesday night yeah yeah and and like you said he's been far more good than bad not that he hasn't had some stinkers but every goalie will uh and for people to come out and try to say he's the problem it's the same people that act like carpenter being cut oh now the now the bills are on the path to the playoffs that's Nobody That's, circles the wagons. Yeah. Carpenter to Hauschka. Don't even make any other moves. That's all they need. Now they're going to be winning these these close games. It's like, no, that's one issue of many. I I figured they would cut Carpenter, but mm-hmm. it's kind of a marginal thing. Back too. I, I like Schmidt. I think he's he's had he's been a little inconsistent on punting, but I think he's been pretty good for the most part. And uh, I think he just keep on improving. Yeah. As, a, as 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 he goes on, he's a younger younger punter in the league. Um to go back to Sabres though. Um now that we just got done talking about Leonard and we've had the conversation uh earlier slightly but didn't really touch on it too much. So I'm going to throw a question your way and you can take some time to answer it. Um who would you rather see get a contract deal this year? Leonard or Kane. Um. Obviously, uh, I always start with the. It depends. I hate having any sort of non-committal answer like that. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's, let's say that. Let's say that Carpenter. Let's say that. Um. Let's let's say that. Um. That we don't. That we're cutting. We're we're gonna get rid of. Uh. 
dead money. We're going to buy out Molson, so we'll have more money for the future for Eichel and uh, Reinhardt. So, um, I, I think what Kane brings to the table is far more valuable and rare than what any single goaltender can. And I don't think Leonard's in that class of guys that I that I would be confident and comfortable with paying a goaltender decent money over the long term. So I'm still very hesitant about paying Leonard. That's coming after just saying that I think he's been quite good this year. But I don't you know, I don't know if the if the marginal value of any one particular goaltender is worth enough to be committing, say, what are you looking at, $4 million a year over three or four years, something like that. I'm just not yeah. comfortable with that at this point. So I feel much more comfortable, say, if you're giving, you would, you would said $6 million a year if we're using that as a benchmark, six years and $6 million a year to Evander Kane because I know there aren't many guys like Evander Kane out there. Um, I'm, I, I think he brings a lot more to the table than – a guy like Robin Leonard would, even if he continues to take his game to another level. Um, so if I had to pick between the two, Kane certainly, I think, would be my choice. Okay. How about you? Um. Well, here's my deal. I, I think that six, you know, six years, six million, the postal contract for Kane, I don't think – I think he's going to get more than that after this season. I agree. If we were to come to re-sign re- re- him, I'm thinking more like 6.7, closer to 7 million, probably. Um, realistically, knowing what Vander Kane's going to want to get paid, you know, he's likely to hit 30 goals this season. Um, well, I don't know now. You know, he hasn't scored much. Earlier in the year, I would have said he would have got 30 goals. Um, you do hope, I do just want to say, you do hope that if he's signing a year in advance that there may be a little bit of a discount there because you never know injury or what could happen over the course of that yeah. year. So I do think he would get more on the open market after this offseason. I didn't get probably be closer to seven than to six, but you may be able to get a slight discount there for basically paying him a year in advance. Um, yeah. And, didn't mean to interrupt and, you. you know, just wanted to. It's all right. And how the cap, that. you know, and how the cap will, you know, likely go up like it does in all sports. Um, Robin Leonard's been very good. He still hasn't hit his prime yet. Um, you know, he's 25 years old. You know, we, we might he might not hit his prime till he's 28. Um, I think he's a he's a guy that I don't want to lose. I don't think Evander Kane's replaceable. This is a very hard thing for this team. Um, if I had to pick one, if 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 we could, if we could go three point, let's call it three point six five, for four years for Leonard, I'd, I'd take that deal. I think. Yeah, I just think if you're if you're making a decision, especially putting even more money in the in the back end as well, and I'm assuming Bogosian's going to be around. It, it just seems very difficult to me to be committing over three and a half million to the goaltender position and you look at guys coming out that are free agents this year say you say if you were to trade Leonard um, or to just have a kind of a one-year prove-it deal but you've got guys like Thomas Grice and 
um, Neuvert coming on the market. And I think you're always going to be able to find at least a, an effective goaltender, you know, a top 25 type goaltender for pretty cheap every off season. And that's yeah. more my thinking. That's not for everybody though. And I, I agree with you. I mean, look at, we, br- we brought in Anders Nilsson this year. Who's great backup goalie. Um, we had Ocho Cinco and Chad Johnson <laughs> last year. And he, he, you know, he was good and he, he had a good season with the flames this year as well. Yep. Um, so, you know, goaltend the goaltender market, you know, I, I do agree. I do agree with you. I think Leonard will long term be worth the money, but if I just don't think Kane is replaceable, and you got you got to have him. I'm more towards Kane. I kind of I hate to just go back on what I said, but I kind of took that just to take the opposite okay. angle. Okay. You know? <laughs> um. So then I then I started feeling stupid about it, but uh, yeah, it's you know. Yeah, that's where I am. Like, if I'm tying up money long term, I want it to be some. I want it to be the more difficult to replace person, the more difficult to replace yeah. talent. And I think Leonard is talented. I think he will continue to get better. Um, and I think he's a good goalie. I like watching him. I think he's played very confidently recently. But I think what he brings is a lot easier to replace than than what Evander Kane brings. Yeah, definitely. Um. Well, we're uh, sitting back with uh ten games left in the season. Uh, you know, it's getting to that point of the year, a point of the year that I'm excited for. Even though it's obvious that the Sabers will not be contending in playoffs this year, but still a very exciting time for all hockey fans. Uh, the NHL playoffs, the Godfather, the mecca of sports playoffs, is co- is about to be upon us in less than a month. Something to be very excited about. Um, I'm gonna be rooting for. Uh, I'm not sure yet. I I do have money on the Capitals to win. The, I took some odds out in Vegas. Uh, my friend was out there, and I. Uh, what were the odds? Put, uh, well, I was a little. I was a little upset about it because I didn't. This I got. I got the odds after the Shattenkirk trade, which made their odds go up. I think they were at one to eight. And I got him at one to six. Mm. Um, and I gave him the money. And I told him to bet on it, and the odds went down. Um, the odds went, you know, went against me after that trade. He put the money down for me the day after the trade. So um, I got one to six. I put fifty bucks on it. Okay. So I'll be rooting for the Capitals this year uh, in the East. And uh, I just pulled out some odds and I had him at nine to two. So it looks like the odds have continued to get even better for the Caps. So maybe it's good yeah. you even got in when you did. If you'd waited any longer, it would have been, you know, five to one or nine to two. Yeah. Oh, well, it's gonna make it's gonna make uh you know not that the watch I I don't need to bet on hockey to watch it, but it's gonna make uh it's gonna make it interesting. It'll give me a team to really root for. Um, you know, I I don't really I couldn't see anyone else. C- pulling out from the east besides them uh at this point but you never know what pittsburgh could do columbus has been very well montreal is uh sitting at 86 points right now um it's pretty funny because 86 points is uh i think in fifth place or something what was it i had it earlier 
He's uh. Yeah, it'd probably in be metro, in fourth, fourth in place the in the metro. They would have been, yeah, yeah, they would have been fourth place in the metro. So I mean, someone from the metro is going to win the East. I think uh, it's just such a such a crime that two of them are going to have to play each other in the first round. Two of the two of the best three teams in the yeah. conference. Yeah, but you know, it's that that's how it's set up, and you know what. The old saying is that playoff starts, it's a brand new season. So you never know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the West, too. Something I'm going to keep track of. Um, Chicago is leading the West right now with uh, 95 points. And San Jose, well, Minnesota and San Jose are about neck and neck in second and third. Um, it's going to be crazy, you know, to think that Minnesota is going to have to play St. Louis, our. Uh, or Anaheim's going to have to play Edmonton, you know, or vice versa. You know, it's going to it's gonna be interesting. I kind of think, you know, the wild card sitting right now is Edmonton-St. Louis. I don't see Los Angeles being a playoff team this year. Uh, yeah, they struggle to score. They're a really good mm-hmm. possession team, but, yeah, they, just, they, they don't I score mean, much. I mean, Jeff Carter's been a great player in this league for years, but uh, – is he really a guy that, at this point in his career, that can put a team on his back? Because Kopitar being hurt, and you think they're just gonna? St- I don't. I don't think goaltending is gonna be enough for those guys to make it in the playoffs. Yeah, when you you have to question quick too. I mean, being hurt most of the year, is he gonna be completely himself and be able to go on a long run? We'll see. Uh, I'm looking at the odds. I'm wondering who I would take if I had. If I had to put money down right now, this has the the Sharks are at twelve to one. I'm pretty enticed by that one. It's wow. got the Capitals at nine to two, the Wild are eleven to two, Blackhawks are thirteen to two, Penguins are also thirteen to two, Columbus ten to one, San Jose twelve to one, Montreal fourteen to one, Rangers also fourteen to one, Bruins and Senators twenty to one, Ducks, Flames, Oilers all at twenty two to one. The Ducks are a little enticing at twenty-two to one too. That's what I like. If I'm betting, I'd probably want to. I've never gambled on sports really at all, but want to take a little bit more of a. You know, if I want to win, if I'm going to win, I want to win big. Yeah, I. I would have taken it different if I was the one going out there, but uh, my buddy was very busy while he was out there, so I couldn't really. You know, I couldn't really get a hold of him i i told him who i wanted to put money on and he basically put it on for me yeah so i bet without knowing the odds i know what i i know which one you would have taken if you had your choice you would take this the buffalo sabers at 500 to one odds oh yeah actually <laughs> i uh i took that earlier in the year you'd be so. twenty five thousand dollars richer here in a couple oh, months wow. yeah well, putting yeah, that if, 50 bucks down oh, that 50 bucks yeah <laughs> I can't believe that's even on here. (laughs) So you're telling me there's a chance. (laughs) Like it could be a million to one and nobody's going to take, take that bet. I don't. Yeah. I don't get it. Hurricanes are 300 to one. Another, another, another team that's, uh, ahead of us in in the standings though. Still. Yeah. The Leafs are at 45 to one. That actually could be enticing. What was Edmonton? 22-1. I'm kind of, te- you know, just because I'm, I'm a conspiracy and, uh, 
you know, looking back on, I was it was it Gretzky's second year when they won the cup. I'm not he sure. Wasn't a rookie. I'm not sure. Um, I just you know I I'd like to believe that everything's rigged. So <laughs> I don't like to believe that, but just something in the back of my head, and I know it's just me being too much of a conspiracist. But uh, I would totally, you know, put a little bit of money on Edmonton just for the hell of it. Yeah, that's that's an enticing one too. That's one of the ones that stuck out to me. I like the Western Conference ones, like San Jose at twelve to one, probably Anaheim or Edmonton at, at twenty two to one. What about Tampa? Yeah. Tampa forty five to one, coming in hot. Stamkos coming back. Yeah, yeah maybe you know. I'll put ten bucks on it. Yeah, <laughs> what's ten dollars? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know it. <laughs> Screw it. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm not putting that money on Toronto, even though the odds are nice. <laughs> yeah, their defense is a little better, maybe. Any, any, anything not the root for them, you know, like I just couldn't. Like, but it's one of those things. If they but if I, they lose, it's like okay, awesome. Toronto but lost, but if they win. You, you, you win big. Let, well, that, well, and that, and that's why I picked Tom Brady in my fantasy football team this year because because it just softens the blow. Yep, I had him it two years in a row, kind of for that reason. And everyone's all my buddies are giving me crap. Well, you hate Patriots so much, but you picked Tom Brady. I'm like, well, it's not like I watch the game and cheer for him because I don't. If he scores, if he throws a touchdown. I'm just like okay, yeah. I'm not I'm not surprised, you know. Yep. But uh, that's why I do it because it it, may, it makes it makes my life a little easier. And I got him in the ninth round, so whatever. Yeah, it turned out to be a very I good need pick. A quarterback. Yeah, somehow he seemed yeah. like he was undervalued in both of the two prior seasons. Like I, that's not somebody I go out and try to draft. Like I'm looking for every reason not to draft Brady, but it's like I can't. He gets to this point, and you have to take him. You know, same thing, like seventh yeah. or eighth round or something, when he wasn't going to miss the first four games of the season, and you can't pass him up at that point. Uh, but well, I've had about enough Tom Brady New England talk. Uh, is there anything you want to finish on, Mark? Um, I don't think so. I think we hit pretty much everything. We I guess we didn't talk about the the upcoming games. We can touch on that really quickly. Um, okay, I get the schedule. Right Monday, here. they're playing Detroit on national TV. Be a big game in oh, yeah. big game in my household. Yeah. Um, and then Pittsburgh on Tuesday, and then they got a few days off. And then Saturday against Toronto. I'm not sure that maybe hockey night in Canada game. I'm not sure. Could, Typically, they are when be. Buffalo Toronto play on Saturday night, but. Uh, Sabres have quite a few games that are, that are impacting this playoff race because they play Toronto twice left on the schedule. They play Florida twice. They play Tampa once and the Islanders Got once. Ones, yeah. So it'll be, you know, they'll at least be able to play spoiler possibly here. Yeah, I think um, we should probably. I don't. I mean, it's up to you, but we could probably uh, wait till about the end of the thing about about the beginning of April. For, for, till our next podcast, I'm thinking, just to give it some time. Are you uh, available next weekend? Are we because I feel like the longer we wait, the more likely we are to have another two hour episode like <laughs> this one. 
Um, we can always push I, it back I, too I, if I, necessary. I, I depends on how my playoff game goes tomorrow. If we win, we have a three-game series for the championships. Um, so and that will be next weekend. Okay. So we'll we'll figure it out soon, but uh, yeah, we can we can definitely do a, a shorter one next time. Uh, it should be interesting. I you know the Sabers you know the theme will really be you know for the rest of the season the theme is spoiling, you know, teams like uh, all the teams that are trying to make that push where we've been before and the Bills have been and. You know, oh, our season's made because we stopped the Jets from making the playoffs. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be a, end up being one of those years again for another Buffalo sports team. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I I wish we could be having some real meaningful games for the Sabers themselves, but at least all these games are against Eastern Conference opponents. I think you could see some people are speculating that Alex Nylander could come up by the Toronto game this week you know, they have a few days off prior to that and maybe give him a shot here at the end of the season he's been playing a lot better been a lot a lot more productive I think he's figured out the AHL game a little more so that could give another reason to watch that, that would be very exciting that'd be something that I would be happy to see I don't know if it's the right move to bring him in when the competition's so hot and tempers are flying though out there too uh don't want to bring him into a plague situation Kind of already like with, come see the lock, come see the locker room, and see how all the players hate the coach, and how no one's getting along right now. I I, I don't know if that's the right idea. Yeah, I mean I can't imagine that this that the uh, the environment down in Rochester is is great though Much with different. how bad that yeah. team has been. So he's probably kind of used to being in a in a down locker room, and I'm sure he'd be pumped to come up and be able to earn, you know five or ten times as much money, however much it is, over the last couple of weeks of the season. But I wonder we'll see. you know you know you know what I keep on thinking? And I don't know why I keep on going to this, but what do you think the relationship between Ryan O'Reilly and Jack Eichel is? I wonder I, I, I wonder what I think about this a couple times a week probably. And I'm like, well you know, Jack's a young kid, kinda's gotten things handed to him and O'Reilly's really worked hard in this league second round pick you know comes first guy on the ice last guy on the ice type of guy I wonder I wonder how those two mesh together in the locker room and if they get along because they kind of seem like completely different people well it seems like O'Reilly isn't one to really be close friends with anyone necessarily Um, and I do have a little bit of evidence I guess to to corroborate that uh, O'Reilly's from, you know, Southern Ontario, and he's from not far from Brantford. And Natty, his brother, grew up, you know, playing hockey there. He's a very good player. O'Reilly obviously is on another level, but they played together a little bit. And he said that O'Reilly was always like that back then, that he was kind of a loner, you know, different. Um, not that not there's anything wrong with that. You're always going to have a handful of guys like that in a in a hockey locker room. But I think he. Sounds like he was never one to to be going out of his way to to make close friendships or anything, and that's the impression I get to watching any of the things they do with the team together. It's not like he's not friends with the guys or he doesn't get along with them, but he's yeah. not going to be buddy buddy. You know, it's not. He just they're not going to be Michael and Reinhardt. Yeah, he's just not that type of person. And you know, 
Um, I was I was at Erie Sports Store the other day, getting all uh, my hockey skates bolted, and because uh, I got a new pair of skates a while back, and I finally threw away my skates from high school because they blew out. The boot blew out on them, but uh, um, I was talking to the guy that used to the sharpened Connor McDavid skates, and he said he's kind of the same way, uh, real quiet, and he he asked him, he says, "Hey, Connor, uh, you know why why are you always you know so hesitant, uh, and you're always kind of why are you so kind of standoffish and you know not not saying that you're not trying to be rude or anything, but Connor's like, well, I just I don't really want to be recognized. I don't really like talking to people. I'm a, a very quiet person. And if you ever see interviews of Connor, and um, you know we've had the pleasure of being able to watch one of the greatest players in the world play in the OHL since he was 14 uh, or 15. Um, he's a uh, he is that way. You watch an interview, you, you see how he talks. He doesn't, you know, people have been surrounding him his whole his whole life, you know, knowing that he's going to be this kid that's going to be changing the game the sport. So, yeah, he, maybe he's kind of like, maybe O'Reilly's kind of like that. Uh, standoffish, kind of keep keep a few people close to you and the rest are that, you know. I think it's kind of a defense mechanism, too, because you don't, yeah. you always have to be suspicious. Are people going to be trying to take advantage of me or, or what? And people also don't remember that O'Reilly, he was the first overall pick in the OHL draft. So he was, you know, like the phenom in his year in the province of Ontario. He wasn't on McDavid's level or Crosby's level, obviously, or anything like that, but he was a very highly touted prospect. And I'm sure he got a little bit of a, a mini McDavid type of treatment when he was growing up. So it's, it very well could be a defense mechanism built up in a, in a similar vein or he could just naturally be like that a lot of people are like that and they're not one they're not ones to go out and make close friendships quickly they'll be friendly with people but not anything over the top and uh it could be a combination of the two too maybe he has a natural tendency to be that way and then being such a highly touted player and prospect led him to you know let it let it let it led that to become even more extreme yeah definitely it's it's interesting. It's definitely uh, that's uh, some good information you got to the uh, give us on uh, on our uh, assistant captain there, Mark. Uh, we thank uh, Nadia's brother uh, for uh, helping the Saber Talk podcast uh, <laughs> fish that one out. Yeah, feed me. <laughs> yeah, all my all my inside sources. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, well, it's been a good podcast. It's been nice talking to you, Mark. Um, we'll have to do this again next week at some point. Um, thanks for uh, making it with us to uh, this two-hour and fifteen-minute mark. Uh, it's been a very good. Uh, it's been very good conversations today. Definitely, I agree. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on, Josh. And yeah, always a always a good time to talk some Sabres hockey. Obviously, I had a ton to talk about. We knew from the beginning that it was going to run pretty long. I didn't know if it would be quite this long. But great time, and I think we covered just about everything we could possibly want to. Yeah, even Bill's free agency. So, you know, um, we got to hit that, so that's cool. Yep, talk betting odds, you know, hit hit a little bit of everything. Yep, a little men's league hockey I like to always throw at you. And Coach Wallander, I'm sorry if you uh, made it this far and know that I uh, didn't see eye to eye to you in the locker room back then, but... 
Yeah, he's definitely a a dedicated listener to the podcast. So we may have lost a listener today. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, happy uh, day after St. Patrick's Day. Um, everyone, make sure you drink your water and uh, sober on up from last night. Yep. Um, have a fantastic week, everyone. Hopefully we're talking about a few more positive topics next week. Thanks for joining us.